You are listening to Viva and Barnes Law for the People, an American and Canadian lawyer breaking down the latest in the legal world in terms everyone can understand. Enjoy the podcast. I support mandatory vaccines. Here. I think every company should do it. I, you know, listen, I don't care. It, to me, it's really simple. We can look out for one another and take care of one another, or we can not. It's that simple. You know, and all the people who want to talk about their independence. It's that simple. You're free to drink until you fall down the stairs, but you're not free to drive. The minute your freedom infringes on everyone else's, so I believe very much that as we did with polio. As we did with polio. Listen to this. It will get there. Just to continue what you were just saying. So good looking, so handsome. Do you feel any backlash from the anti and does that ever bother you in any circumstances? He's so polished. The truth of the matter is, yeah, I just I was listening to a podcast the other day about the polo vaccine, which they screwed up when they first put out, which I didn't remember. I didn't know I was too young. Um, one factory actually ended up giving a bunch of kids polio and killing them because they weren't filtering out the formaldehyde. Um, we haven't had any of those problems with the vaccine. It's been a pretty successful rollout. And there were lots of skeptics then, and it took a few years, a couple, three years, to get their act together. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> get our act together, and we'll get it done. We have to, because that's how we get out of this. Uh, he was just watching a documentary on... The polio vaccine. And, uh, you know, he, he didn't remember because he was too young, didn't understand the history of the polio vaccine, how there, there were some hitches when they tried to, you know, get the polio vaccine out. Why, why were there hitches? Because some things can't be rushed. Some things um, you can't push faster than they can go. The speed of science is the speed of science. It means slow for the most part, but it means, above all else, scientific and methodical. He, I was just studying a little bit of history. And once upon a time, they screwed up a vaccine in the early stages of the development of the vaccine. Once upon a time, during the uh, bird flu in the 70s, they screwed up on the vaccine. They pulled it when it had uh, reported adverse uh, effects uh, exponentially by or factors of, of 10, hundreds less cases of adverse events. I was just studying up on history and not learning anything about it. But let me, let me just give you my blue steel. <laughs> I'm so good looking that it doesn't matter what I say. I'm so good looking that I can get through life pretending to be someone else, relying on my charismatic, chiseled good looks, even if I study history, learn nothing from history, and thus repeat history. What's the expression? Those who don't study history are bound to repeat it, and those who do study history are bound to watch other people repeat it. Swine flu, sorry, you're right. I meant swine flu, I don't know what I said before. Um, <laughs> it's some confirmed trolls, well done. Parody accounts in the chat. Um, but George Clooney, you know, but before, the, before the ink had dried on the immunity given to the pharma companies to develop a technology that had never been used in vaccines before. I didn't think I was going to have to pull this clip up. I'm going to have to pull this clip up. If I look tired and cranky, it's because I'm tired and cranky. What was it? Albert Bourla? Albert Bourla 
mRNA new technology. I mean, some people don't even know the present. Is it here? Here we go. Let's pull up this wonderful clip. Share, present, Albert Bourla. Into the weeds here and the mRNA technology. When technology. you and never you been and used your, your colleagues were trying to decide which route to go White down, tea. the traditional vaccine route or the mRNA route. The traditional you, one or the one that's never been used that, before? Um, it was, quote, most counterintuitive to go the mRNA route. Because it had never and been used you before. you went that route. Explain why. Oh, because it's very, very lucrative. It was counterintuitive because... It was very lucrative. When you don't have any liability and you only have gains to be made and the government protects you and it doesn't matter if you lie to the government to get approval because the government would have given you the money. It's very lucrative. It's very lucrative. Because Pfizer was mastering, or let's say we had very good experience and expertise with the multiple technologies that could uh, give a vaccine. Adenoviruses that some of the other vaccines Listen to this. are. We, we were very good in doing that. Um, protein vaccines, we were very good in yes, doing that. Vaccines. And plus many other. Traditional vaccines, the ones that actually um, worked. The mRNA was the technology, but we had less experience, less. only two years working on this. Do you know what two years of experience is working with a new technology that, as you'll see, has never been used? It's no experience. Two years experience. I don't, when you're a lawyer, you know, how many years experience do you have? Two years. Get the hell out of here. How many years of law school do you have? Two years. Get the hell out of here. Two years experience. Two years experience. Okay, let's go on. And actually, mRNA was a technology that never delivered a single product until that day. Until it delivered four billion people new technology that had never been used. And trust me, because I'm a vet. Uh, not vaccine, not any other medicine. So, uh, so it was very counterintuitive, and I was surprised when they suggested to me that this is the way to go. Counterintuitive is one way of saying it. Absolutely reckless is another way of saying it. But Klaus Schwab, he was very good in penetrating the Pfizer. I don't, I'm, I'm mixing up my accents now. And I questioned it, uh, and I asked them to justify how can you say something like that. But they came and they were very, very convinced that this is the right way to go. Very, very convinced. Can we spell convinced with a little? Dollar sign in it. They felt that the two years that, uh, of war Speed of science. on mRNA since 2018, together with BioNTech, to uh, develop a flu vaccine, uh, made them believe that the technology is mature and we are at the cusp of uh, delivering a product. Made them believe? Made scientists believe something. That's not how science works. That's how religion works. I mean, I, I'm clenching my fist because it, it's, it's obscene. It's obscene. We have a technology we have uh, two years experience with. It has never been used before in the context of vaccines. Uh, we are being immunized from the government, from all liability. It was very counterintuitive, but it has proven to be very, very lucrative. Oh, and just, you know, just, I mean, I, I don't know. Has anybody in the chat not ever seen that interview from Albert Bourla? You know, don't, don't, don't trust, don't trust a, a, a random hypochondriacal YouTubing lawyer. Trust Albert Bourla himself. It was very counterintuitive. We've never used this technology before. Never, ne never injected one dose before we changed the definition of vaccine. Got immunity.
Why do, who do I sound like now? I sound like Adam Sandler making fun of somebody else. I don't know who I sound like. No, 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 no. But don't worry. Go ahead and use it. And by the way, um, I, I'll say it every time. This is not schadenfreude. This is... Someday people are going to start asking the questions. Um, and until then, it's highly p- possible that people who might not have otherwise suffered consequences might suffer some consequences. Prominent virologist and AME itinerant elder, elder Dr. A. Oveta Fuller, dies in 67. Let's just go to the um, article. Fuller was an ordained inherent elder in the African Methodist Episcopal Church in the Michigan Annual Conference and served as an adjunct faculty member at Payne Theological Seminary. She also served for several years as a columnist for the Christian Recorder, writing a column, Getting to Zero, advocating for HIV, AIDS awareness, and programs throughout the Church. Fuller died on November 18, 2022, after a brief, you have to specify this, non-COVID-related illness. Funeral arrangements are forthcoming. Some of you might know who she is because the science, not the science, the Christian stuff aside, she was a virologist who was, and I'm quoting from another article that I, that I, that I included, instrumental in the emergency authorization of the COVID-19 vaccine. Oh yeah, I believe I, here, I think I did. Here we go. I brought, I brought up a couple of old tweets. As pregnancy naturally brings a temporary type of immunosuppressive Vaccination against COVID and booster are love and wisdom in action for mothers, a mother-to-be, and the people around them. How Dr. Fuller can say this when in the UK they say we don't have enough information to assure the general public that it's safe for pregnant and breastfeeding women. It's amazing. It's amazing. Science is not about um, agreement. Science is about testing theories vigorously, rigorously, and remorselessly. How one doctor can say, it's love and wisdom for, for pregnant women and, and, and mothers-to-be, where in the UK, they're saying, we don't have enough data to say anything. And then we got another tweet. I just you know, wanted to make sure. From pandemic to endemic, SARS-CoV-2 will require wise decisions by leaders and each person. Required vaccines have stopped or reduced many illnesses, polio, with some issues, Measles, mumps, pertussis, chickenpox, smallpox. We must add COVID-19 to the list. But uh, not before we uh, do our, our, our clinical trials to see how much, how much myocarditis it might cause. Because, you know, we haven't done that yet. When we were telling everyone it's safe and effective, even though the effectiveness is not in preventing transmission, and the safety, uh, we haven't actually done clinical trials to determine if it causes myocarditis. When we told you all of that, um, we had no reason for telling it to you, apparently. Uh, I mean, unless, unless they know it's safe and effective and they're just doing those trials on myocarditis to, to see. Uh, I asked early before we started who wanted to start with, with vomitus in the mouth, and I, that's because I have a, a clip of Justin Trudeau on the back burner. Figured we'd start with that. Uh, George Clooney proving he's a better actor and a better philosophizer than a historian and uh, ethicist. And we're going to get into some case law now. Um, Tonight, vaccine mandates being upheld by the 9th or 11th, I think it's the 9th Circuit. All right, before we get into puking your mouth, I'm not your buddy guy. 
Also, everyone watch State Control, a documentary that covers centralized banking, digital currencies, and briefly touches on Trudeau and what he did. We're going to get there. Let me read some super chats uh, before we get there. Dostoyevsky, Akhtman, Kadi, keep fighting. Build the bag. Nine. Oh, man, I don't know what this is. Iran and China, nobody cares. There are four lights. Dostoyevsky, thank you very much. He gives them eyes, but they refuse to see. Winston Shittenhouse. Gives them ears and they refuse to listen. Gives them brains and they refuse to think. We love you, Susan. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Nancy Hawk. I follow because you have other sources. You still represent the people. Thank you very much. Oh, Barnes is in the house. Okay, hold on. I'll, uh, okay, so you know what? I'll save the uh, vomitus for tomorrow. It'll give us something to talk about. I argue history repeats and only faces and tech change. It rhymes. It doesn't repeat. Marcus Aurelius' book, written thousands of years ago, can apply even today because of human nature. Absolutely agree. Winston Shittenhouse, health advisory. Too many forced black pill suppositories will damage your sphincter. I suggest a diet of Dave Chappelle and Puppy Chow to ease the passage. Dave Chappelle is going to be in Florida on the 27th to the 30th, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be here to be able to see it. DTQC, protest to change public policy in this war. Just ask Louis Rossman after two attacks on it. Oh, I'm going to get that video. I'll cover Trudeau tomorrow. Barnes is in the house and I don't want people um, getting too sick. Super Chats. YouTube takes 30% of every dollar. If you do not like that, but you want to support the channel, the best place to do it, the better place to do it, on the one hand, is Rumble. Where we are currently streaming, there was a Rumble rant. I'm going to screen grab them and read them all tomorrow. Um... Rumble takes 20% of Rumble rants, so better for the creator and better to support a platform that actually supports free speech in a meaningful sense, even more so than Elon Musk does. But the best place to support Robert Barnes and me, vivabarneslaw.locals.com, because 70 bucks a year, or people can you know, support with more if they so choose, tons of free, tons of, tons of exclusive content. You don't even have to be a supporting member to get a ton of the content out there. We've got, we've got a member community of like over 105,000. Great stuff. Lots of exclusive stuff. Robert Barnes's patented hush-hushes. Okay. Oh, by the way, and with that said, we are going to be moving over to Rumble uh, exclusively in 16 minutes. So the link is in the pinned link in the chat. No medical advice, no election fortification advice, but we will be covering lawsuits. No legal advice. Barnes, where is he? Hold on. Barnes, you're coming in here. Three, two, one. Okay. Robert, hey. where are you? Uh, Tennessee. Okay, very cool. Am I good? Is the sound good? It, the sound sounds a little low, but let me try to fix it on my end. Sure. And then uh, edit mic settings. Okay, I'll bring it up just a touch, and then people tell me if, I, if I've overdone it. Robert, is that a real backdrop? That's not a real backdrop. Oh, yeah, that's a real backdrop. Yeah, see, so no, no green screen there. Okay, that's cool. It actually looks so perfect. It looks like a green screen. <laughs> Robert, my, uh, my nephew set it up. It's uh, we use it for sports picks, videos, and things like that. My brother and I and my nephew did a uh, World Cup recap and preview that's up at sportspicks.locals.com. Also, Sports Wars on YouTube. The Canadians uh, really had a game effort. It looks like they're not they're going to bounce out the group stage, but played a beautiful game against Belgium. Got a little unlucky. Uh, they the Canadian soccer team or football team is known around the world. Uh, did a lot more for Canada than Justin Trudeau did in those uh, emergency act inquiries. So did he really say he's deeply concerned about people protesting about public policy? Right, did Robert. he say that straightforwardly? Robert, Robert, Robert. I, I, I'll, I'll talk about it tomorrow. Here we go. Let's, Robert, you won't believe it. 
Leading. protests Answering to... Okay, so I, I didn't... Nobody knew this was coming. I, t I was talking over it for a second, but then I heard it. Using Leading. protests Answering to demand uh, changes to public policy um, is something that, that I think is, is, is worrisome. Using protests to demand change to public policy is something that you Although, find worrisome. Sorry, to a certain That's no, the definition of a dictator. Robert, but shutting the, down the best part uh, is injections or something. Listen you to this. I'm going to close this. In, in public policy. Uh, 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 Robert, it gets even better because it's it's like in his own tyrannical insanity, he doesn't have a memory. Listen to what he said a year ago about the Indian protesters. He uh, called in Canada's High Commissioner to complain about remarks that you made about the farmers' protests in that country. There's warnings that uh, you've damaged relations between India and Canada. Like I'd like to get your response to that. He doesn't have a memory. Canada will always stand up for the right of peaceful, peaceful protest anywhere around the world. Except we're in pleased Canada. to see moves towards de-escalation and dialogue. That, what a... Oh, my God, Robert. I'll, 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 people, I will rant about this tomorrow when Robert's on. Yeah, he said it. He forgot what he said a year ago. He's a curse. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a demon. He's a curse demon. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so he did say it, Robert. Wow, extraordinary. <laughs> extraordinary. I mean, I mean, I mean that, that's an all-timer right there. Uh, I'm, it's, I'm it's, concerned about protests. People very worrisome, these people that want to use protest to change public policy. Very, I, I'm sure... Uh, you know, President Xi says the same thing. I'm sure Kim Jong-un says the exact same thing. Kim Jong-il, I forget who we're on now. Uh, Robert, what's about, what well, is it above your, your shoulder, the, the draft book? Is that is that an old magazine? Yeah, it's an old magazine. And the number two above your left shoulder, what's that? That, I have no idea what that means. Okay, <laughs> okay so everyone out there trying to interpret that, uh, read into it, don't read too much. All right, Robert, what do we have on the menu for tonight? So uh, a lot of different stuff. We got the, uh, you know, we had other World Cup protests. It was it was interesting the country that that did so, and the mainstream media in the U.S. not really covering it as expansively as one might anticipate. We had the English team, you know, taking the knee for Black Lives Matter and that kind of routine. A protest Trudeau was just fine with, peaceful or not, during COVID, uh, no less. During COVID, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, totally fine to breach COVID protocol under those circumstances. Uh, we had the Scottish trying to get a, a advisory referendum on independence being struck down by the High Court of the UK. We had Bolsonaro challenging the Brazilian election and where that where that is, uh, both in the court system and the legal system. We have in Arizona, we have a big election contest filed by the attorney general candidate and a lawsuit filed by uh, governor candidate uh, Carrie Lake uh, with legal issues continuing to per and, and then a range of other suits back and forth. We have the Georgia run, uh, runoff uh, election day suit about you know how many days do you get to vote prior to the runoff that went up to the Georgia Supreme Court. Uh, uh, we've got Trump taxes at the Supreme Court. We got Trump special counsel issues. Trump CNN wants to wants to get out of uh, the Trump defamation claim by saying they have a right to compare anyone they want to Hitler. Uh, we have a uh, uh, the Ninth Circuit claiming that vaccine mandates are just fine and can't infringe a fundamental right, because apparently they forgot about the right to privacy and the medical rights of bodily autonomy uh, suddenly uh, in that context, citing the uh, horrendous Jacobson decision as its predicate in part uh, with someone who may be on a future sidebar, Aaron Chiardi, who had brought that claim. The We have, uh, and then a range of other cases, including civil forfeiture related cases that we didn't get to last week about whether there's a right to a trial by jury in that kind of, in that context. 
Um, and another, uh, we have, you know, the Google settling their big privacy tracking violation, paying a big amount uh, to, to, we, to, you know, we, uh, weasel their way out of future difficulty for the illicit activities that they were engaged and involved in. A Twitter employee allowed to stay at Twitter, even though, you know, it appears to have been fired by Elon Musk. Uh, threats by Apple and Google and led by Taylor Lorenz at the Washington Post to try to get Apple and Google to uh, deplatform Twitter itself uh, from their app store, proving their monopoly power that both they and the U.S. government pretend don't exist, and some conservatives too, by the way. The uh, uh, and, and in response, Elon Musk talking about starting his own phone company, uh, which would be interesting. So the, uh, uh, the there's a range of legal issues that are implicated there. We have the political dynamics of uh, Kanye uh, in, inviting uh, uninvited guests uh, to hang out with the, pre- the former uh, President Trump, uh, who's having to deal with all this lawfare that's happening. They're scheduling trials on his uh, trying to seize, you know, his $250 million worth uh, of assets from him in, in New York, uh, plus another frivolous kind of lawsuit brought by some other people against him as, as the lawfare mounts on. We have a special counsel that has been outed even further as a deep state hack, the special counsel assigned to uh, prosecute Trump. Uh, for what he is in, in more details there in uh, a range of other cases from across the country that of, of interest or intrigue at different levels. Robert, let's um, actually, we'll start with this before we go over to rumble. Let's just get to the Trump saga. It's, it's, it's gossipy. It's not so much law related, but Jesus, yeah. it's, you know, uh, the media has more interest in Nick Fuentes being Kanye's uh, invited guest, uninvited guest to a Trump dinner. They're more interested in that than they are in Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX scandal, uh, you know, through which they saw hundreds of millions of dollars laundered to Democrat entities. So they're focused on that. But Robert, what in the name of high school football happened? Trump allegedly, from, from his own uh, social media posts, says, Kanye came to me and says, we want to talk, you know, need some advice, yada, yada. Come over for dinner. Kanye comes with Nick Fuentes allegedly uninvited trump after the fact apparently they had a dinner they might have been asked to leave maybe you'll be able to shed some light on that after the dinner trump says i had no idea who nick fuentes was uh kanye brings him unannounced we have dinner they leave that's the end of it but when you host nick fuentes i mean it's, it's so outrageous that the attention and the, the the glamour that the media is giving nick fuentes now but when you have nick fuentes come who said the things he said you had your your encounter, you're running with Nick. Um, it's going to make Trump look bad. People are hypothesizing as to a, you know, what is it a, a, a sabotage? Is Owen Benjamin involved somehow? I don't understand how that can be the case, except for apparently he's friends with Kanye. Uh, how can Trump allow something like this to happen? Shouldn't he have a team vetting people that come over to his place, even if they come unannounced? Robert, uh, if you know anything that's not public, or if you can add some insight, I think people would like to hear. Yeah, I mean, I think Scott Adams speculated that it was part of a tr- Trump takeout effort. I don't think Kanye uh, was wittingly or knowingly participant. Uh, it looks to me like Kanye is being targeted by grifters and hustlers like Milo Yiannopoulos uh, and Nick Fuentes and others, some ex-Trump campaign people. There's rumors of Roger Stone uh, involvement as well. I, I can't confirm that on the latter part. But um, the, the, these are the grifters and hustlers looking for quick cash. And Kanye's got a lot of money. 
and they're making pitches about who they know and how they can generate publicity for him and how they're going to help because Kanye's his presidential aspirations for 2024. Apparently they went in with a kind of lame, like their marketing uh, post a meeting marketing was that, you know, th- th- their whole idea was that he was going to go in and demand that Trump be his vice presidential candidate. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, I mean, that, I mean, that's a, that's a joke. I mean, all that does is insult Trump. So, I mean, what Kanye did is burn his bridge to Trump. Uh, that, that, that's what he did with the way he handled the meeting and who he brought. Now you have Nick Fuentes who has been telling everybody he's on a no fly list. And then he's walking through the airport with Kanye was Fuentes lying once again. This is a guy who likes to chase around little boys and outfits and little furry outfits and things of this nature. Uh, he is a he's mostly a grace grifter. I don't think he has a sincere belief in his body. Uh, he later gave a big thing about how he's a big supporter of DeSantis. That's ironic because, of course, his he, he claims that he has a very principled position in opposing aid to Israel. Uh, DeSantis is one of the biggest Israel backers and was while he's in Congress and continued to be while he was governor. So that that tells you how sincere that position was. It was just looking for Jew haters. If you're Kanye, hanging out with more Jew haters is not a great way to convince people that you're not really a Jew hater, that, hey, you just have some unusual beliefs. I still don't think he has malevolence in in that respect, but he keeps, you know, if if, if next up is the head of the neo-Nazi party in America and he's doing a front profile for the Daily Stormer, then I'm going to have to say, sorry, Kanye, you clearly lost the res. You're off the res. But there's people who are going to hustle and grift him looking for cash or notoriety through his, his, you know, quiotic campaign for the presidency. Um, it, it's clear, you know, I mean, what Trump put is that, hey, Kanye's clearly not all there. You know, I was trying to help a guy that's not all there and he's still not all there. So I got the hell out of there. I mean, that was basically what Trump said. Didn't know who anybody else was, which is classic. But it does show both the weakness and strength of Trump's current campaign team is he's gone back to a two, 2016 style. And, and the upside of that was he didn't have a bunch of hangers on uh, spinning nonsense in his ear and he acted on instinct a lot. Downside was open access and people could misuse and abuse their access. Uh, most likely this was orchestrated by Milo Yiannopoulos. People liked his appearance on uh, uh, on with, uh, with, with Tim Pool. Uh, in my experience, he's not someone who's trustworthy. He screams grifter 10 miles away. He's always been a grifter. There's, of course, many allegations and concerns about how he behaved for a long period of time. I met him when Steve Bannon was busy promoting him back in the 2016 convention. And I, I was like, I want nothing to do with this guy. This guy screams grifter and hustler. He's tried to get uh, death threats put out on people and things of this nature. He's recently converted. He's no longer gay. If you buy that, I got a couple of bridges in Brooklyn to sell you. The, uh, uh, you know, I mean, so this is that world, that sort of uh, grifter underworld uh, that, you know, that Fuentes and Milo and that crowd and that Owen Benjamin tends to attach himself to, even if he's not officially a part of, tend to uh, obsess over hating on Jews um, and are not productive people, uh, you know, went after Dave Rubin, have gone after other people in very nasty personal ways. Uh, so they're not people I have any respect for at all. Um, and it's just, uh, but I think I, I, having been, you know, Kanye should know better given how many grifters he's had around him his whole life uh, from the time he's been successful. But his entrance into politics has unfortunately not disabused him of that. And he's associating himself with some of the worst, most malevolent grifters in, in American politics today. I mean, Nick Fuentes is a wannabe young David Duke. Uh, that, that's who he is. Uh, and so the, uh, 
uh, embarrassing for Trump. Uh, I, but I think as a, if the downside comes with the upside of him not having, you know, uh, certain people in his ear all the time telling him to, you know, follow the Fauci's of the world, that will probably be net plus over time for Trump. It won't have much impact at all. It was a nice little media story for the media to promote. Clearly part of a coordinated uh, effort. Uh, it makes Kanye look like he's a tool rather than uh, being someone who's his own man at this point. The very lame, like, post-debrief. As if, I mean, it was very much, I get Kanye lives in his own world. That's rather apparent, been rather apparent for a long time. But he's now looking like it in ways that is not not productive for Kanye's uh, uh, public aspirations to be taken seriously in the court of public opinion. To the degree that is an aspiration. I mean, maybe it's just to express himself regardless of how people interpret it. But, you know, when you're playing around with these losers and grifters and hustlers, uh, you, you're not helping your cause at all, put it that way. And he burned a bridge that he otherwise had a nice bridge there to Trump to such yeah. a degree that Trump would just, hey, yeah, come on over for dinner. That ain't happening anymore. And chances are Trump's cut off the phone contact, too. So uh, a mistake on Kanye's part, ultimately. Minor mistake on Trump's people, uh, but not a big one. Uh, if Roger Stone was involved in this, he burnt a bridge, too. And I, I'd be surprised if he was. But Stone has affiliated with Milo and other people. So that's where the speculation has come from. What it, would Roger Stone is out for a vendetta because Trump put him through the ringer by not protecting him in the in the criminal charges or what what, what would Roger Stone have uh, an interest in sinking Trump? It wouldn't be an interest in sinking Trump. It'd be an interest in getting Kanye to write checks. Okay, interesting. I mean that's that's the modus operandi of certain people. The uh, I don't think Roger would be dumb enough to to burn that bridge. Uh, over something small like that, and and some of these people may you know be hoping Kanye writes checks. If you know Kanye, you might want to wait until the check clears. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's that's one angle to it. Uh, the Milo angle, I don't know. I I I know what I know of Milo just from the internet. I, I, it's times like this when I'm glad I don't have very many friends. <laughs> if the fewer friends you have, the less likely you are to get in this type of trouble. I you know I saw what Laura oh. Southern put out the documentary yeah. on on Milo and, and I mean she detailed Milo's mo for a long time was extortion entrapment that that's who he was uh, was looking to blackmail people on the regular uh, this goes way back with him uh, you know he's he was always he, allegations of fraud in terms of his scholarship program and book writing deals and other things so the guy's bad news he's always been bad news I get. He's a very smart person. He's very articulate. I, I don't doubt either one of those two things. I don't think he's got any character, moral character in his uh, bone in his body. And that's why I don't trust him and have discouraged people from affiliating, associating with him or being around him. To the extent he finagled his relationship with Roger Stone to get to greenlight this meeting with Trump, um, you know, he, he burned a lot of bridges by, by doing this. So he, be, he better get a big check. But he was the one behind circulating. And my guess is he was the one behind circulating the story to the Gateway Pundit and circulating it to the Axios and places like that. That that's just his. That has his fingerprints tattooed on it. Um, Cernovich has been on a bit of a tear, an anti-Trump tear, and I, I say not anti-Trump in an illogical, irrational sense. Cernovich is raising, I think, very legitimate points that some people don't like him raising at this point in time. But one of which is Robert, and you have to feel this. Okay, like, uh, does, does Trump not have a team? I'm going to get to the double standard after this, but does Trump not have a team 
to vet? Or is this a case where somebody shows up and you don't know they're bringing the person in the first place? What are you going to do when they get there? Sorry, you can't come in when you're with a guest. I mean, I, I could see politeness even being a, a, a factor that is going to hurt someone here. But you, you can't vet someone that you didn't know is coming. They get there. What's supposed to happen and why didn't it happen? That's a Kanye thing. That's a celebrity thing. So it is extremely common that celebrities have an entourage. So if you're someone like Trump and you've met with those kind of people all your life, you're not surprised at the entourage. You don't know the entourage has any meaning until later. But, you know, the you're not surprised. Okay, these guys always got three, four hangers on. You know, that, that just runs for the territory. So the uh, so I'm sure what happens is Kanye showed up, said, hey, I got a couple of buddies with me. Is that cool? Trump would be, yeah, sure, no problem. The uh, So now the only thing is, yeah, but he's one of the few people who who could pull that off. That, 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 that's why it feels like a setup in which Kanye was being used. Uh, it didn't help or boost Kanye much uh, unless his goal is to you know, get the support of the Jew haters, Jew hater, the Jew hater United Party or something. Maybe that that's going to be the new Kanye uh, political party. Uh, unless that's it, you know, it was it was a net negative for him. But uh, only he, only a celebrity could pull that off. Uh, so right. is the short answer. And now, now- the other aspect is it shows that Trump is not being super controlled. I think that's a good thing. So it it will come with these kind of loose affiliations and associations and meetings with people who Trump won't know that the media will make hay out of. But the upside is it will also come with meeting people he should meet that the insiders would typically keep out. So I, I think it's a net positive for well, Trump to stay open. Do 2016, don't do 2020. Or it's just a, or it's just damned one way and damned the other. The, the, the insiders are going to let the bad people in to take him down, but not the good people that he should meet with. Right. Um, I had another, the, 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 uh, the double standard, Robert. Obama, uh, was it, it wasn't Louis Farrakhan. Who was it? The pastor, the, the chickens are coming home to roost. The, the, the... That was his pastor. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the, the double standard is, it's not just egregious because one is sort of a, a, an accidental dinner with someone you didn't invite who was brought as a guest. And the other one is, I like your newsletter. I'd like to subscribe to it by joining your, your sermons. Well, am I being unfair to Obama or was, was, was it known? Was he just an innocent uh, caught up? at a sermon of somebody who he didn't know what he was going to say, or is there just a double standard and more so than I can possibly? Oh, I mean, I mean, much more double standard. That, that pastor was infamous for his very anti-American speeches, inflammatory speeches. Um, Obama joined that church deliberately because that pastor had a lot of political currency in the South side of Chicago. And so he wanted the benefit of being affiliated with him without the burden because of a lot of those, those pastors statements. And the media did a great job covering for Obama as they did, throughout so no surprise there but i mean the fact that nick fuente is sitting next to trump that doesn't matter i mean the media will spin it how they're going to spin it but that just has no lasting meaning uh lasting virtue or value or currency it's a one-day story uh and it uh mostly net nets out to, to nothing in the end and we'll see whether kanye continues to affiliate with these kind of people kind of does he continue to self-marginalize himself in, in the way he's going about things does he? T- I mean, the Owen Benjamin route—that ain't a route to success. Just, just, just saying. You know, God bless Owen, but there's a reason he's living out in the farm or wherever. The, uh, um, you know, so I don't think that was a path to to, to progress. So the, uh, the the same with uh, you know, where Kanye's going, he's 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 putting himself into a smaller and smaller cubicle. I mean, it was already a small one. People forget Kanye ran in 2020. He just didn't get on a lot of ballots. Um. So, I mean, the the temptation for the political hustlers to get near Kanye to get money out of him uh, is is huge. 
So it, it brings out all the grifters. Anybody associated with Kanye uh, that it suddenly, right? Not, I'm not like Candace Owens clearly wanted to bring Kanye into the conservative camp. That's a whole different animal. And she doesn't need the money. <laughs> She's doing just fine. But the uh, but these other people, it shows who they really are. The, anybody that signs up now with the Kanye campaign is someone who's a pure grifter. You can just put them in the grifter box. Not not a hustler, not someone who's in between, pure grifter. Anybody who signs up with, with, with Kanye now. So, And then you see some of these people on social media claiming that anyone who's backing Trump is probably getting paid for it. You know, like that muscle boy, Dave Reboy, or whatever his name is. I always am skeptical. Of, I mean, this guy hangs out with Jack Murphy, right? And I was like, hold on a second. The guy who got paid for sticking things up his rear end is talking about other people being a uh, grifter. I don't know about that, uh, Jackie boy. Maybe hush, well, well, hush, hush would have been a little bit better approach there, son. But the uh, similar with, uh, with with him and Martin, uh, Marina Medvin and some of these other people, uh, the idea that you'd make more money uh, associating with Trump at this point uh, than anti-Trump has just never made much sense to me. The grift has always been against Trump. The, there is no grift with Trump with any consistency. That isn't to say there aren't people who try to jump on the Trump bandwagon conveniently lately uh, at the very end, but the idea that being for Trump is going to be your clear path to easy money and pro- and profitability and uh, is just... Uh, anybody who accuses Trump supporters of being a grifter is confession through projection is a grifter. You can put it right on it because that that screams confession through projection um, because it's it's like the people who kept insisting Trump was running for office to get rich. Like it's a good way for Trump to get poor and go broke is to run for president on the ticket he on the platform he's running on. And that has been proven in abundance. First president to lose money by being president in American history. I mean, can you, I mean, literally American history, nobody's lost money being president. Maybe you could argue John Kennedy, but most likely no, because um, he was very wealthy coming in. But Trump, otherwise, only wanted to lose money by being president. There is no grift for Trump running for president. Robert, There's no grift for people that support Trump against a lot of this nonsense. So the, but you're going to see all the grifters start pouring out now. Either they'll be jumping on the Kanye campaign or they'll love to bash on Trump. Some people's grievances are personal, and Coulter has a personal grievance over Sessions and some other people. Mike Cernovich has a personal grievance, and and, and I, I understand and respect their personal grievance. Trump was not loyal to some people that he, I frankly, should have been, or Trump made mistakes that he blamed other people for. So I understand those, those folks. But some of these other, like some people suddenly suggesting DeSantis was, is some sort of anti-deep state guy and Trump's the deep state guy. When you're saying loony stuff like that, mm, you might be a little off the res. So the, uh, but definitely the Kanye people are, are uh, uh, anyone attaching themselves to Kanye at this point, pure grifter. Uh, you know, and, and I'll, I'll say before, we'll get into the election stuff and Trump's updates on the Rumbles, which is where we're going to go now, people. 38 minutes, 40 seconds. The link is in the pinned comment. I'll drop it one more time. We're going to get into Carrie Lake election contest. Uh, what else? We're going to do, we're going to talk about, we'll do all of the election stuff, Bolsonaro, Carrie Lake, um, and then we're going to get into a bunch of other good, good stuff. Uh, Twitter lawsuits. Yeah, vaccine cases, oh, yeah. Um, uh, abortion pill, big abortion pill case, abortion law case in Georgia, a uh, wide range of, uh, of important cases that continued. I mean, even though it was a holiday week, uh, the courts weren't on holiday. Oh my goodness. Kind of yeah. unfortunately. I, it was it was a it was a big week, uh, to, you know, with, with three kids and, and two extra kids at home. All right, everyone, mosey on over to Rumble. 
We're gonna. Oh, end wait, where'd you get the two extra kids from? Oh, uh, my these, my... these the secret fraternity kids. Nah, yeah, no, 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 my daughter's best friends came in from Canada, and it was wonderful. But uh, you know, reminded me of moving. Uh, people just think you, you up and move, and they don't appreciate the the. It's hard on kids. Um, yeah, all right, I'm gonna remove from YouTube. Let's go over to Rumble. Three, two, one. Yeah, 4,400 people should be moving over to Rumble. Thank you all for the for the patience. Done. I know some people, you know, the chat is wild on, on, on Rumble until they can get a slow mode and highlight comments. I want highlighted comments. All right, Robert. Um, Bolsonaro. Let's do Bolsonaro first so that we can then get into the Carrie Lake and the Trump stuff. Uh, so it's been now like almost a month or just, just about a month since Bolsonaro lost the election. Uh, there was some rumoring that he was going to, the military was going to get involved and invoke, I, I don't know what section of the constitution it is to maintain Bolsonaro in power. He filed a lawsuit to challenge the results. Uh, you, you'll flesh out the allegations in the lawsuit. All that I was flabbergasted about is it's not just that the lawsuit was dismissed. Uh, he gets reprimanded for allegedly having abused of process, gets fined something like the equivalent of four and a half million dollars. Because you can't, you can't challenge elections. And if you decide to take it to court, uh, you, you might end up with what read more like an activist judge there to not hear a case and adjudicate on a case, but rather to uphold the results and sanction anybody who dare challenge them. Uh, f- flesh it out, I mean, if you could, in, in greater detail, but the basis of Bolsonaro's legal challenge, uh, what system are they using in, uh, oh, geez. Are we in Brazil or Argentina? Robert, I Brazil. Uh, Brazil. Uh, what system are they using electronic voting machines? It sounded like they are based on uh, the court ruling. And uh, is Bolsonaro going to get the military involved to, 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 I don't know, is it a coup at this point or field it? Explain it to the, to the people like myself. So there were a lot of questions and concerns raised about the, uh, how the machines operated in certain jurisdictions across Brazil on election day. And, and then there was also unusual, uh, well, arguably, unusual favor, favorable outcome in one particular province that has a strong gang influence in favor of Lula. And so he included that amongst other items in his election contest. The Brazilian Supreme Court, the reason why I said that there was no chance of him winning in there is because the Brazilian Supreme Court is anti-Bolsonaro. It's the Brazilian Supreme Court that reinstated Lula and released him from prison and threw out all the criminal throughout his entire criminal conviction. And so the idea that, I mean, they clearly picked Lula to take out Bolsonaro. So, the, I mean, the, this court was a politically activist court. The mainstream media in the United States will not put those ties together. Uh, but so that's why he had no chance. But it, it, was revel- it was revelatory that they not only denied it, but used a lot of hot rhetoric and then sanctioned him and then froze his campaign accounts on top of it. For the mere act. And this is part of the professional managerial class around the globe whose power is being challenged, whether it's being challenged in China with protest we're seeing against the COVID lockdown policies there, whether it's protest in Iran that the World Cup team actually took. The, you know, the biggest protest that happened in the World Cup was the Iranian team protesting in unison against their home nation government in support of the protests there concerning the extreme fundamentalist, Islamic fundamentalist rules being imposed. That's the main subject of complaint in Iran. Uh, Whether it's the European Union and all the controversy that continues to unleash, 
whether it's the United Kingdom and its continued failure to have a prime minister for longer than a few months these days, uh, or whether whether it's the Emergency Act invocation and uh, hearings in Canada. What all of these things have in common, like what we're seeing in the United States, is a professional managerial class, which dominates the judicial branch in particular, denying populist relief and remedies, uh, but often being very solicitous of anti-populist relief and remedies. So the same court that said, oh, this is a ridiculous election challenge, is the same court that said Lula committed no crime and can be released from prison and run for office right away, when almost any review of the record shows both that it was a heavily politically motivated prosecution, that was fair criticism, what was also, but was also true is he was clearly corrupt as all get out. And he got he got to get out of free jail free card right walk right in and and now the court system is facilitating it. Uh, same thing happened in the United Kingdom where where the Scots want to be able to hold an independence referendum because they want to be part of the EU. The UK does not. Uh, the Scottish independence movement almost succeeded before when it had a referendum in 2014. And uh, what happens? The UK High Court comes in and says, no, no, no. Only the UK Parliament can allow the Scots freedom. Unanimous. I mean, you know that you know that that means it's extra super duper uh, legitimate. Unanimous. Uh, how many judges are there? Like uh, nine or eleven? They have a lot of. This judges. is the same UK High Court that ran and hid on the Julian Assange issue. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the UK court systems are as politically uh, active as anybody, like the Pakistani courts that interfered and in, and overthrew uh, an elected leader and removed his uh, his populist challenge to the Pakistani deep state. Um, where the term was first broadly applied in the modern era was to the Pakistani governmental system. So uh, what happened in Brazil is the Brazilian Supreme Court throws it out, you know, says all kinds of nasty things about Bolsonaro, issues this preposterous and ludicrous fine. And so what that does is that leaves really only one option for Bolsonaro, independent of take of accepting the results. And the his supporters want him to invoke, I think it's Article 142 of the Brazilian Constitution, which allows the military and the defense of the presidency to assert power. Now, Brazil had a long military governance, a military junta uh, from about 1964 or so to 19, mid-1980s. Lula came up with his political power in opposition to it as part of the union movement. Um, I think it would be a mistake of Bolsonaro to uh, invoke that clause and create a constitutional crisis in Brazil and return the specter of military rule. His supporters want it because they believe the election results were stolen. They believe Lula will continue to engage in corrupt practices. In particular, their great concern is not foreign policy or World Economic Forum or any of that, where there really isn't a big difference between Lula and Bolsonaro. Both want to be part of BRICS. Uh, both sympathetic with Russia and unsympathetic with Ukraine, for example. Um, but the big difference is on domestic crime policy, where Lula appears to be affiliated with the drug dealers and the gangs that have terrorized Brazil that led to Bolsonaro's rise in the first place. And they're terrified of what that might look like, unleashing those drug gangs on pol- with political power unchecked throughout the country. And they're willing to say we would rather have the, mili- the risk of a temporary military rule for either a new election or a cleaner election, then and Bolsonaro continuing in power, then what uh, a a gang dominated Brazil might look like under Lula. Uh, it will be up. Uh, you know, I'm hopeful it doesn't reach this stage because I think the military junta stage of Brazilian governance and which was reflected throughout Latin America was not a good thing. I understand the concern of Bolsonaro backers. They, they they knew they had no relief from a corrupted election because of an in, because of a politically prejudiced uh, judicial pool. 
Um, but it, it which, and again, that's, that's the big problem here. If the, if the Brazilian courts had afforded a meaningful hearing, a meaning evidentiary, meaningful evidentiary test, they would have probably convinced Bo- enough Bolsonaro supporters to back down. Instead, their deepest skepticism and deepest cynicism of the Brazilian Supreme Court being overtly and openly partisanly political was confirmed and ratified by their aggressive over-the-top behavior. But this is how courts are behaving. We saw it here in the United States. Georgia uh, allows a the law is clear. You can't have a, a Saturday open uh, for voting after a holiday the Thursday before. Uh, it's a continue, and the judge just makes up the rules and says, "Nah, this is going to help Warnock beat Walker." So uh, we're, we're going to open up a, a polls on Saturday, which will create a mess across the state because some counties would have it open, some counties wouldn't. And what does the Georgia Court of Appeals and Georgia Supreme Court do? They go and find some sand nearby and they stick their head as far in it as they possibly can, because this is the protocol. Democrats get whatever they want out of courts. Republicans get nothing out of courts. They get arrogance. They get contempt. Uh, they get disregard and disrespect for people's sincere and serious concerns. I fear that's what we're about to witness in Arizona. I, I was going to say, you know, for anybody who thinks that's hyperbolic, Sussman acquittal. Uh, the other guy, Robert, the Russian guy. Uh, uh, I, I, I can't pronounce his name. I'd butcher it. But also complete acquittal, also, even though clear guilt in both cases. Acquitted. Uh, January Sixers. You know, five to nine years. Right. Every jury has convicted him of every possible charge. And then you get your, you got your lefty. Steve Bannon convicted in an hour. The, the lefty lawyers. Roger Stone convicted in a, quickly. And the Molotov cocktail lawyers, 15 months. Yeah, uh, exactly. So. They'll, they'll be out in less than a year. So um, you can throw And notice the head, how the New York Times worded it. Uh, I think it was the New York Times. Uh, unoccupied police car. Yeah, they just threw a Molotov cocktail. Unoccupied police car. And and like as people are pointing out, the BLM riots in D.C., it was reported 60 Secret Service or federal agents were injured that day. 60. That's about, what, four times, five times, ten times the number of people reported injured from the Capitol Police uh, on the day. And yet n- nobody was prosecuted for that. Nobody. In fact, some of them were given checks by the government yeah, for, the, for their rioting. I, think I mean, the- this is so open and overt. And the only people who don't understand it is the political class that and the judiciary themselves. They're the ones that are in denial. Uh, and, you know, they're in a let them eat cake mindset. And they should remember what that led to last time. But they don't. They don't realize it. It was Danchenko, Igor Danchenko. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned it on Passol, you know, Bolsonaro and um, Lula, pro-Ukraine, pro, pro anti-Russia. Um, has there been any news like that, 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 that thing last week where the world almost went to World War III because Ukraine allowed the world to think that Russia killed two Polish civilians? Anything about that? Or is that, is that, as, is that as old news as the FTX uh, $20 billion Ponzi scheme scandal? Well, every time uh, Russia has requested, and this proves my point, at least, every time Russia was, has requested an independent UN investigation of anything, it's been blocked. So, you know, whether it's the you know, Ukrainians firing off uh, their own missiles into Poland and then trying to blame Russians and trying to escalate and, pro- and provoke a war or any of the other false flags they've done, which is, you know, uh, too numerous to count, or their latest version of tape recording themselves abusing prisoners of war, Russian prisoners of war, or harassing local uh, Russian populations or perceived pro-Russian populations in any area or a territory they reoccupy. It's the same set of behaviors. Um, they're talking now that they can do without power and water for two years. Well, we'll see how we'll see if that uh, how that works exactly. 
um, Hollywood's out there promoting the war as much and as often as possible. And so the, uh, but I don't see uh, any diplomatic remedy likely to occur anytime soon. Uh, and what we'll likely see is they'll uh, wait for the land to freeze. Um, and it will probably freeze over the next couple of weeks. And you'll probably see a uh, R- Russians launch a real counteroffensive, um, is my guess. And, uh, and I think Russian patience and tolerance is just diminishing by the day. So I, I think it, I think they're going to try to take out all the power and electricity. Not a fan of that method of conflict, but that's where it's going. And uh, uh, and it could create a massive refugee crisis that Europe is ill-prepared to handle at a time when Europe has energy problems of its own accord. Uh, what happens if 4 million Ukrainians, and that's only 10% of their population, 4 million Ukrainians flood across the border to Poland? What if it's 8? What if it's 12? What are they going to do? Are they going to try to send them back somehow? Pretty tough now with all the uh, warmongering talk from Poland and elsewhere. Poland ready to handle 12 million? Mm-hmm. Poland didn't like the last wave of migrants. They didn't like this any better. So it, we, a lot of Europe, we, we're continuing to see systems of governance fail around the globe, particularly in the Western world, but also in China and elsewhere, uh, because these status professional managerial class methods of governance fail. That's what they've done for a century. And we're just seeing it on an escalating scale. We just hope the rest of us don't get caught up as collateral in the process. Uh, and also, just to let everybody know, I'm screen grabbing all of the Rumble rents, and I'll do what I've been doing, which is a Locals exclusive uh, for members and non, non-supporters, where I read them, answer them, and uh, do, a daily, do a daily thing. Uh, so I'm just I'm screen grabbing them as we go along, if I look somewhat distracted. Uh, so it's... Uh, no. The, we, we were on the brink of World War III, and it's just, we, we've forgotten about it. Now, what happened to... Um, uh, Zelensky's 10-point peace plan that he submitted to the G20. Just... Uh, no, I mean, nothing else came. The only thing that came out of the G20 was the promise of a vaccine passport for the globe. <laughs> hey, progress, Robert. We're ba- baby steps. Okay, Carrie Lake's lawsuit. So she's 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 filed. I mean, it's it's a a, a petition for the issuance of a writ of mandamus or mandamus. I don't know how people pronounce it ordering a public body to do that, which they're supposed to do, because apparently Carrie Lake has made multiple, several, more than one FOIA requests, from what I understand, for information, correspondence, documentation relating to um, what went down in Arizona, Maricopa County, I think, in in particular, during the midterms. The lawsuit, I was just looking at it again, because it's like, how many pages is it? It's it's 18 pages, but like five pages of the lawsuit, uh, I'm exaggerating. One, two. Oh, I'm not exaggerating. Five or four or five pages of the lawsuit are polling or voting stations where they had problems with the printing ballots. Uh, you know, there were long lineups, told, several hours told to go elsewhere. Carrie Lake has, has, has submitted a request for documentation, which is they thumbed their nose at it. it. She asked for it on an urgent, expedited basis, given the time constraints here. They have no answer or said, no, I, I'm not sure which. And she's, she's filed for the issuance of a writ of mandamus to order the governmental bodies to communicate the documents. I got a lot of questions, including what would happen if they don't certify, because I, I, I've heard things on the news that if they don't certify, all that it means is the votes are not counted. It could penalize Republican candidates at large. But lawsuit and the latest in um, Carrie Lake's lawsuit and election run. Yeah, so what will probably happen is, based on the information she gets or documents she receives, or if she doesn't get it, she'll make uh, the relevant uh, 
evidentiary inferences is it will look like I'm going to mispronounce his name. I think it's Hambada, the attorney general candidate who came up about 500 votes short for the attorney general because it has already filed an election contest. And the his election contest is the same issues that what she's trying to develop is more evidentiary foundation for an election contest. So and it all it, most of it revolves around what happened in Maricopa County that Maricopa County is hiding. So they know on election day in Maricopa County, a bunch of printers didn't work. They know a bunch of tabulators didn't work in about half the precincts in the area. They also know that there were ballots mixed. Uh, So what happened is ballots that had already been counted were mixed with ballots that had not been counted uh, in such a way that would contaminate any ultimate count. They uh, also have evidence already for people who didn't vote uh, based on their inability to get their vote done on election day because of the problems at the precincts. They also know there's people who voted uh, effectively provisional. They were told to vote. Basically what happened is because of all these screw-ups, either people didn't vote or they went into another precinct and tried to vote and their vote was canceled, or they voted in a provisional ballot and the provisional ballot was canceled. Basically there were tens of thousands of people is a fair estimate on election day in Arizona who were denied their right to vote because of the failure of the Arizona election machines to work properly and the failure of election officials to train people to deal with the failure of the machines. We know what now? Um, and and so one of the, they were just looking for some basic evidence. For example, does, when you come in, and this is supposed to be part of canvassing in Arizona under Arizona law, as it is in pretty much everywhere. Do you want to match up the number of people who signed in to vote with the total number of ballots tabulated from the precinct? That's a problem in Detroit every time because they always end up with more votes than voters. How, how did that happen exactly? You can you can imagine situations where there's fewer votes than voters, right? There's some missing ballots. But how do you get more votes than voters like Detroit has a magical ha- habit of getting? So, but so they want them to do it. Maricopa County won't do it. Then they want to say, well, at least produce what the documents, what you're uh, under the Open Records Act under Arizona law, the the FOIA equivalent. uh, Tell us what your information shows. They won't show that either. And they uh, they won't show what training was done. They won't show what happened with which places. They won't show why the 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 helpline wasn't working. They won't show. They won't explain why it is the help people weren't available. That they won't explain how these things suddenly failed on such a massive scale in a convenient way that disproportionately hurt Republicans. So there's tons of documents and information that Maricopa County, and what you'll hear from Democrats is, well, Maricopa County is Republican-led. It's McCain Republican-led. So it's led by a bunch of people who had organized political action committees to defeat Carrie Lake, for example, to defeat this attorney general candidate. In, including Bill Gates, the guy who was in charge of, of the election day himself. From what I understand, Robert, maybe I'm wrong. From what people said, he he was funding uh, an anti-Trump PAC in 2020, and, and bragging about it, and telling people to this it was key to get these people defeated to get a certain outcome. So these are people that are anti these particular Republican candidates. They weaponize their access. Of course, the Democratic candidate for governor was the Secretary of State, so she's the other election official involved. So I mean, it looks if this was a foreign country, we would be laughing at the outcome. We would be saying it's an obvious crock. This was Russia. The New York Times and the Washington Post and CNN would have front. Jake Tapper would have a deep dive as to how Russia stole the election if these exact same facts were true in Russia. No, I'll just um, play this. It's it's classic. We've got about 20% of the locations out there 
where there's an Are we issue seeing with the tabulator yeah. where some of the ballots that after people have voted them, they try and run them through the tabulator and they're not going through. That's what election integrity looks that's, like. That's my, that's, yeah. my, yeah. that's my splice. Uh, that's, that's the guy who's, I, I, I played the whole clip. We've got 20% of locations, Robert, which doesn't translate into 20% of tabulators as if one in five is remotely acceptable. Could be more than 20% of tabulators, uh, but only at 20% of the locations. Uh, but don't worry. So they explain well, some Ultimately, there were reports questioning over half. Over half of the precincts had major problems. And then there, there were reports of big bags of ballots that just went missing, that just disappeared. And again, because they knew Republicans were disproportionately voting on Election Day, that's what made this very suspicious. Mm -hmm. And that in particular, the, the Republicans supporting these particular candidates that the Maricopa County leaders did not want to see win, the Republican candidate for Secretary of State, Attorney General, and Governor, and for the Senate, and it disproportionately fell that direction, raises major questions. And so... Uh, Lake is just trying to get the information that Maricopa County is hiding. Uh, the attorney general candidate has already already filed an election contest. His grounds include those uh, uh, grounds already listed that she's seeking evidence of, but also he is claiming that there were a uh, a large number of of mail in votes that did not whose signatures on the outside of the ballot form did not match their signature on the voter file. So I've always thought this was an important issue for anybody to raise in an election contest. He is raising it. I assume Carrie Lake would add it to her own election contest were she to bring it later. It looks like she is very highly likely to. His election contest is a case is already going to a recount first before it can even get to certification. Certification is December 2nd uh, because there's only 500 votes separating him, so they'll do the recount first. But the uh, he's already brought the election contest in anticipation uh, of wanting to block this because the Republican governor of Arizona is a real establishment guy. He did nothing at all uh, to make sure the 2020 election was done. I mean, again, in Arizona, you had a man who went on to Fox News who testified under penalty of perjury that somebody had voted in his name in Arizona when he lived in Tennessee and voted in Tennessee. And yet the governor of Arizona certified his vote as an honest vote. I mean, the governor is just a fraud and a joke. And the governor was eager to embrace his Democratic, the, the, the sec Democratic Secretary of State, uh, declare her the winner before the election's even been certified or an election contest adjudicated. So you have a Republican political machinery still in Arizona that is still corrupt. Um, and so that, that doesn't want Carrie Lake anywhere near the governor's chair, doesn't want uh, this uh, um, Trump-aligned candidate anywhere near the attorney general's office. And or near the secretary of state's office, because then you might finally have honest elections and honest law in Arizona. And they that the old John McCain machine wants none of that. Remember, John McCain was famously the Keating five. Uh, John McCain never saw a bribe he didn't like. Uh, you know, the idea of him being ethical and clean government was always an embarrass embarrassing joke. Um, so that that's who these people are. They come from that wing of the and they don't have much voting power but they have a lot of institutional power. And guess where they're really in positions of power? In the courthouses in Arizona. Robert, I'm going to pull up this video. I know, I know we all know what we tend to think of Mark Elias, but Robert, you listen to this. I don't know if we, I don't think we played this. Here, listen to this. I mean, if you look up the term chutzpah in the dictionary, you find the idea that Carrie Lake is saying- <laughs> Let's ignore that, that part, okay, people. Suppression. 
they're complaining that there were long lines. Well, you know why there were long lines? There were long lines because the Kerry Lakes and the Republicans have been making it harder to vote. So, so he's admitting there were long lines, and that has been an issue in the past. In Arizona. Yeah. They're complaining that voters were disenfranchised due to voter registration laws. You know why? Because Kerry Lake and the Republicans have made it harder to register in Arizona. They're claiming this that ballots were thrown out due to mismatched signatures. You know why? Because when we sued Arizona to make signature matching more accurate and make it easier for people to cure their ballots, they opposed us. Okay, so, um, Robert, for, uh, other than, I think, Mark Elias making Carry, make the, making the most compelling arguments for Carrie Lake's uh, uh, challenge. Uh, who is who who is who is being uh, alleging? Who is he alleging had mismatched ballots thrown out? Is Carrie Lake saying that mismatched ballots were thrown out, uh, or or the uh, the other guy, the Attorney General, thrown out on the one hand and mismatched counted on it's, another? Well, what I saw, at least in the Attorney General's challenge, is that there were people who, whose votes were counted whose signatures did not match. Not that votes were, should have been counted when they didn't match. Okay. Um, so the, uh, and yeah, and, and the, uh, uh, what, what it reveals is confidence in America's elections. We, we have a protocol for America's elections going back for centuries, at least a century in terms of the secret ballot. That is eviscerated by mail-in voting. Mail-in voting invites all of these problems. Voters like it because it's convenient. It's a lot more convenient than having to go to a precinct. Um, also, Arizona allows you to vote in any precinct. You don't have to vote in your home precinct. All these things create risks. We have a, a tradition that has mostly worked most of the time when we had in-person voting at your neighborhood precinct. When you allow voting to occur anywhere, by any means, you invite election fornication, election controversy. And that's what we have in Arizona. I uh, unfortunately, I don't have great confidence that the Arizona courts will step up to the plate. I think Kerry Lake is going about it precisely the right way, documenting things uh, in the court of public opinion with the, uh, voter testimonials, uh, you know, one after the other. There's now thousands of affidavits. The attorney general has asked Maricopa County to provide information to some of these key same questions. Um, so we'll see if uh, what. what uh, but I think they're going to ignore it for the most part. I mean, when you're not even responding to Open Records Act requests, that kind of proves the point. Uh, Carrie Lake will likely win her Open Records Act request claim, but I think the uh, the election contest will be uphill because the Arizona courts are not as hostile as the Bolsonaro courts or the UK courts uh, to the Scottish independence effort, but they are of the same mindset and made, and many of them rose to power in Arizona based on the McCain political machine that hates anybody who contests that machine. They would rather have Democrats in positions of power than have populist Republicans in positions of power. And it's, I've had many election cases in Arizona dating back over a decade and a half. Wikipedia erased it from my Wikipedia entry. They, they pretended the only Nader case I handled was one in uh, Hawaii. When the, that was a small case. The big case was out of Arizona that was a precedent set all across the country. And Wikipedia just erased it, pretended that case never happened. Uh, because somebody's been busy trying to doctor and create a fake Wikipedia page. But that's like a 10-year effort. Uh, I, I don't think I'm yet identified as right wing, interestingly enough. Like that's what they've you know, falsely tagged you as. But let, the, let, uh, let me, me see, just, they, they, they just try to misrepresent my, my legal record all over the place. Uh, erase all the wins, you know, all the rest. But that 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 is, I don't care. It's Wikipedia. The but what it uh, uh, but Arizona's had a history of these problems and these problems are accumulating. And because the McCain political machine was a corrupt political machine. And it's a vestigial issue that populist Republicans are still having to fight, unfortunately, in Arizona.
And so the, uh, it's, uh, I, I don't, I, I think this will be the last gasp of the McCain machine because the, the anger and antagonism they're settling into the populist base there, uh, I think is slowly but steadily going to purge the Maricopa County supervisors of their positions. I think a lot of changes are probably coming as people realize how deep the corruption goes on the Republican side in Arizona. Uh, what happens if they don't certify it by December 2nd? I, I, I was trying to well, understand. It's unique here because there is no federal election at issue, no Senate elections at issue, no congressional elections at issue, no electors are at issue. So they're under under note. So it's just internal state law. And there they so they got some flexibility. Uh, and when they take power still, I think sometime in mid-January, if I recall correctly, so the uh, they have time to properly address and adjudicate these election issues. I just don't have any confidence that the Arizona courts will do so. As an example, in 2020, the Arizona court ordered a signature match check. And the Democratic Party's designated expert came back and said with just a sample that there were so many signatures that didn't match. It was 10 times larger when projected out than the margin of victory in the presidential election. What do you think the judges in the courts did? All of a sudden, that doesn't matter. I ah, will pretend that doesn't matter. That's what they did. So, I mean, that's how corrupt the Arizona judicial process is uh, when it comes. So many of them are McCain-tied. It's the reason why, like, Alex Jones has difficulty in Texas. Almost every judge in Texas on the Republican side is tied to the Bush family in one way or in shape or form. So even in some of these Republican states, you run into uh, judicial branches that are still hostile, that would rather Democrats have power than populists have power. All right. Well, that's interesting. Um, time frame? Uh, I mean, all this will get resolved in the next uh, six weeks for sure. Um, uh, but the I think Lake should win on the right to get the documents and information. I don't think they'll be that aggressive that they'll deny that. Uh, right, I think they're more it. likely to deny it is to deny the remedy than they will be to deny discovery. Denying well, discovery will be very embarrassing. We'll, they'll but, see. If you know, you never know. I mean, again, you saw what happened in Brazil. The, the overt, open uh, assertion of power, raw power, and the arrogance of not realizing what that would do. I mean, that Brazilian judge dramatically increased the risk of a military coup in Brazil. That's what that idiot did in, in, in his arrogant, contemptuous uh, approach. But it's the professional managerial class writ large. that their, 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 their arrogance far exceeds their intelligence, and it always has. They're a danger to humanity the more power they have. Robert, I, I, I've now noticed in Rumble, they've added a feature where I can mute users for five minutes for the live stream or forever. And there seems to be one very active. Some people are calling the person a troll. I don't like banning trolls. I wish they had a function where I could just, you know, slower mode on, on Rumble. But if I may, what's his name? It looks like it's Goldfold. Um Cool it with the spam. Otherwise, I'll, I'll mute for five minutes and then maybe the stream. Uh, unless everybody likes the activity of you know people who are. Yeah, that's quite a nice cool. thing about uh, the the live chat that's currently open at vivabornslaw.locals.com oh. is the most aggressive trolls we get is uh, you know pretty girls and with guns or fishing poles. Well, and and lots of uh, lots of memes. I won't even say what what types great of memes. great memes. Great, great. Uh, some some brutal memes. But, yeah, I know. Uh, great memes. <laughs> If we I, got, I, we got the great one. We got one, uh, uh, me as Santa Claus, uh, that uh, we might have as a forthcoming uh, uh -huh. holiday season t shirt, a little hush hush barn Santa Claus one created by one of the great meme makers at vivabarnslaw.locals.com. 
we have many that are a genius at it and are really skilled at it. Robert, what was I going to segue into? Oh, you know, let, let's do this. Speaking of yeah, corruption, the special prosecutor uh, named to, to investigate Trump. I mean, Robert, I'm listening to, to mainstream media report on this now as though it's the first time they're literally saying now he's in trouble. You appoint a special counsel. It's very serious. They got to look into things. As though we didn't go through this with Mueller. As though we haven't lived through six years of fabricated scandal with Trump. Um, but what's the deal with this special counsel? Because from what I understand, he's... Um, have you done a hush-hush on him? You haven't done a hush-hush yet, eh? uh, Not yet. But what I said is that he's a deep state hatchet man. And that's what he's always been. So he's been a prosecutor pretty much his whole life. I think a couple of corporate payoffs here and there in between. You got to wonder about somebody who prosecutor their whole life and then they become like vp of litigation at some big corporation it's like how does that make sense hmm uh you know just do a little math you might figure that out his wife of course is a it helped do the uh, michelle obama documentary <laughs> huge democrat i mean not just democratic contributor i mean he's a disguised democrat right he doesn't contribute officially because he's not dumb enough to have to create that track record for himself but if we'd use Nancy Pelosi's standard, which was that Justice Thomas has to recuse himself from anything his wife ever talked about, then clearly he, this guy should have not been assigned and should have recused himself as special counsel immediately given his wife's overt political partisan ties. Reality is everybody knows he's a Democratic hack. Um, and you can see by who's promoted him how that's happened. You, how you know he's a deep state guy is two positions he got. One, he has back and forth been assigned by the International Criminal Court to go after disfavored groups in Europe. So go after the Serbs, go after the Russians, et cetera. So the, the only guy who gets that gig is somebody with deep, deep state ties and alliances and allegiances. That's it. No, no, no random schmuck gets that gig because that could go lots of places. You dig into what happened in Kosovo, you dig into what happened in Albania, you dig into what happened in, 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 in Bosnia, you dig into what happened in parts of even Croatia, and a whole different story emerges. People can go watch the film The Whistleblower to see who was doing what in that region uh, illicitly. It might relate to a certain Epstein case we're going to talk about a little bit later, at least in its subject matter of sex trafficking. It might involve the United Nations uh, being the complicit or culprit uh, rather than the other side. But so that's he back and forth to there. And in between, he was assigned as the public uh, integrity biggest joke in the world department of justice has a public integrity division they might as well call it the public promotion of corruption division because what they do is they politically target disliked people while he was there he went after the uh i think it was the republican governor of virginia on some bogus charges that got set aside by the u.s supreme court uh he also coordinated the cover-up of a bunch of uh, i mean he was obama's hand-picked guy to handle political corruption cases that means that he was working with Lanny Brewer, one of the most corrupt prosecutors and lawyers around. When, when Lanny Brewer was there, I can't tell you the number of lobbyists in D.C. who would try to hit up my clients saying for a certain donation, they could make sure the case went away. That's how corrupt Lanny Brewer was. Now, I was like, don't get anywhere near any of that nonsense because it's a trap nine times out of ten. But uh, it, it's Lanny Brewer's going to line his pocket and screw you anyway because that's like Lanny Brewer. But Lanny Brewer is—he's a Lanny Brewer protege. So I'll tell you, one of the most corrupt lawyers in the history of Washington. Uh, so that tells you that this guy is a political hatchet man, deep state aligned political hatchet man. 
Uh, he helped cover up all Obama corruption. And what has come out over the last week is that he was neck deep in the IRS scandal. Now, that was a scandal I know a lot about because I was the one who outed part of it and brought a major suit connected to it. So there were two major IRS scandals that happened uh, under Lois Lerner. One is the one everybody knows about. The second one, only a few people know as much about, but congressional hearings were opened in both of them. And what it was is uh, Obama decided to weaponize the IRS to go after his political critics by looking at organizations, backed uh, Tea Party-related organizations, searching for who their 501c3s or 501c4s were. And guess who was the middleman trying to orchestrate federal criminal prosecutions against them? Our new Trump special counsel. He was coordinating with the IRS, providing inside information that never should have been provided to both the Department of Justice and the FBI, trying to drum up criminal prosecutions against Tea Party organizations across the country who are causing such difficulty for the Obama administration. That's who the guy is. Um, and so, uh, and that, you know, so you, you don't need to know much more than that than to know that about him. Now, what else the, he helped cover up was while the justice, while that wasn't all the IRS was up to. The other thing Obama did is he used Obamacare to have the IRS be the uh, record gathering agency to digitize medical records across America. And it was, it was to make it everything more convenient for you and easier for you and cheaper for you, of course. What they were actually doing was threatening medical records companies that if they didn't turn over all their medical records, uh, they would go after them. The IRS would go after them themselves. This actually happened to a client of mine who, when he resisted, was targeted for criminal prosecution. They looked at every single thing in his life. They illegally tapped him. They had and His IT guy was secretly working for the government, uh, hacking into his emails, hacking into his, and the government had promised him a huge refund portion of whatever money they tried to squeeze out of my client. Uh, and so uh, we brought suit, biggest Bivens class action in American history. Ultimately, the IRS stopped doing it, as it be but only because of that suit and the investigations it spurred. Uh, otherwise, they would have kept doing it. This guy was in the middle of all of that. And to give people an idea, that was like your dream file, your blackmail file. I called it uh, your J. Edgar Hoover wet dream of a blackmail file. Every judge in California's medical records had been stolen by the IRS. Every uh, Major League Baseball player, every Screen Actor Guild, every movie director. Uh, I knew all. I mean, I had to confirm the accuracy and detail of the records in order to file the suit. I was stunned at some of the things. I mean, it, it would be, I was like, would this be blackmail material? Oh, yes, it would be blackmail material. Because your medical billing codes are sufficiently specific these days that you know who's, what judge's kid is being secretly treated for a drug rehab problem that's somehow not not been arrested with you know major issues which major league baseball player has an undisclosed injury which uh, movie actor has had five undisclosed heart attacks so he would actually be unbondable if the world knew about it couldn't make any penny a penny little thing which movie director's uh particular perversion required specialized psychiatric treatment i mean stuff like that right and so uh, the, the, this guy was a neck deep in covering or facilitating a lot of that. So it's, he is hired to get Trump. That's what he's hired to do because he's a deep state hatchet man. Who's been good at getting Trump. Mueller was never hired to get Trump. Mueller was hired to cover up the scandal that was Russiagate and the scandal that was Spygate. And then Durham was brought in like Huber to clean up the mess, to make the FBI look good rather than bad. Uh, the difference here is this is someone that is being brought in solely for the purposes of securing indictments against Trump. Credit to Trump that Trump's reaction is, 
you know, do it, do your best. I'm going forward anyway. Um, but the, uh, but that's exact. This guy is a, a hatchet man, a deep state assassin meant to take out Trump politically. Um, Robert, some people are saying you know, your position is, you know, Trump running for office, um, despite everything where, you know, he could in theory be left in peace if he doesn't run again. Some people say he's running for office to give himself some protection from these, these, these persecutions, prosecutions. I mean, all it did is they, they shift. They were always going to shift to a special counsel anyway. So their excuse was now that he's declared for office, we're assigning a special counsel. But the reality was because he's run declared for office, we're going to now really target him as opposed to just threaten him. And the special counsel will have subpoena power can compel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Their own roving grand jury, everything else. But a, a big budget. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene is looking at whether or not the House can try to cut off funding. Um, that'll be tricky because you, usually you need the Senate to go along with you for that. But there, there, there may be that option may be there. But that's where the House's oversight is going to be essential. Uh, and, and to go, you know, the but uh, th- this guy's a guy that's deep state protected across the board. So watch a lot of your institutional Republicans be oddly quiet about him. Okay, yeah, very interesting. And I guess uh, if there's no more on that, it's a decent segue into the uh, Epstein victims lawsuit. Uh, Jane Doe's one through, however, many, I'm not sure, there's a few, there's more than one, suing Deutsche Bank um, for and allegedly, JP and JP Morgan for allegedly making, you know, two to four million bucks a year off of Epstein dealings between 2013 and 2018. When did Epstein not kill himself. I remember I was in Nova Scotia when it happened, or New Brunswick. It was 2019 that he did not kill himself. That's my recollection. I remember we were on a, we were on a road trip, and I had to go down to the water to do a vlog on Epstein. Back in the day, when I was I was the, the, for fear of the cosmos, I didn't even want to mention Epstein's name, um, not for censorship reasons. I just it was always a dirty story that I never wanted to you know know anything about. But you can't avoid the necessities of the law life. So the victims of Epstein's trafficking, the alleged victims, I guess we have to... No, they're, they're, they're bona fide victims. Uh, they're suing J, the bank, Deutsche Bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, for continuing... And actually, sorry, not continuing, for commencing to do business with, with Epstein. Because after 2013, when the, the, the shit started hitting the fan, uh, some institutions were cutting off their, their, their relationship with Epstein. Deutsche Bank and J.P. Morgan Chase said... Uh, I forget if they were already continued, but they say, no, it's, it's, it's good enough with us. We'll do business with Epstein while his reputation is known. Um, you know, we're not, we're not doing these know your client forms. We're not doing a bunch of things that we're supposed to do to make sure that we're not participating in illegal activity or financing funding of illegal activity. Uh, which one was it that um, paid a criminal penalty? That was Deutsche Bank, right? I mean, both at different times have. Uh, it, it, with respect to uh, with respect to Epstein wrongdoing, oh, I forget which one. It was. I'll have to uh, look it up because I mean, that, that, look, I, I was reading through the lawsuit. You know, they say Epstein's reputation was known. The banks shouldn't have done it. They were making, but it was the money was good. They weren't following protocol in terms of knowing your client, seeing where the monies were going, because they're alleging that Epstein was using money to lure young women for sexual trafficking, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, I, I thought it was a bit of a weakish lawsuit because it was invoking reputation. Right up until I remembered, I forget which I'll go check when you talk, but one of them uh, basically pled guilty uh, to criminal wrongdoings in that context. And now I don't see how they don't lose in part on the civil, but field it from there, Robert. I mean, wh- 
is is it a legitimate lawsuit? Are they supposed to not do business with people based on reputation, or were they actually knowingly flouting all of their obligations because the money was just too good? Yeah, I mean, the allegation is that they were knowingly engaged in uh, contributing to and facilitating federal criminal activity in the form of sex trafficking, uh, particularly. And then there's also a, a RICO allegation uh, that the, uh, and then there's a range of state legal claims. So it's basically the federal sex trafficking suit that holds aiders and abettors and facilitators civilly liable for sex trafficking, where they're knowingly complicit or recklessly complicit. And then there's the RICO claim where you're, you're deliberately knowingly being used to commit multiple state felonies of a particular identified type. And then there's a range of state law claims, aiding and abetting, civil conspiracy, et cetera, relating to the underlying tort and that their notice and knowledge and complicity there too. I'm glad to see the banks finally being named as defendants because the, what this really reflects is the oddity of the origin, much like the FTX case that still hasn't been explored. I mean, FTX has now been sued in a separate proceeding. Apparently the CEO, that weird chick who's dad was like connected to the sec and was the mit grad apparently she's on a plane to dubai uh at least that's the latest right latest story or rumor uh believing that dubai won't uh extradite her uh if the only reason that would happen is because the u.s government doesn't want her extradited i can tell you that right now um but ftx you know similarly like epstein in that where did his money come from and how did he make it this is a point eric weinstein has repeatedly hammered away at it's like uh, this has not been an Eric Weinstein would be someone to know. He helps manage uh, Peter Thiel's funds. So he's like, there's no good explanation for how Epstein got this money, what Epstein did with the money, what Epstein was doing with the money, how there continued to be profitability. None of these things made sense. And they're using that to suggest, well, really, it was all one big sex trafficking ring. And that there were tons of red flags going off. And they didn't care because they chose to profit from it. Probably the problem for both banks is that it appears certain bankers had particularly tight relationships with Epstein and brought the business in and sustained it and maintained it or even transferred it to another bank with them transferring as employees, uh, even after he's a criminal convict, even after indictment, the subsequent indictment, et cetera. So uh, I'm glad they're going at this because it was always felt like, I mean, again, we have a sex trafficking defendant and co-defendant. And Jelaine Maxwell, who no one's been identified as who they were being trafficked to beyond each other. It's like, was the sex trafficking ring limited to Jelaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein? Is that really going to be the government's claim? I know it's what the U.S. government wants to pretend, but this civil suit has a way of opening that door. Hold the banks liable because they're the key facilitators of all this, and they know a deeper story almost guaranteed. And uh, what involvement did government intelligence agencies have on this? What ties did Robert Maxwell have on this going all the way back? Uh, what ties did other high-ranking Democratic and political officials have on this? So it'd be nice to see that fully vetted and fully developed. Of note, we had both said we are skeptical of the allegations against Alan Dershowitz. It's noteworthy that the accuser has now withdrawn all allegations against Alan Dershowitz. Those allegations never made much sense. I think that was made up by some lawyers, not and 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 the, the victim was encouraged to say maybe he was there. You know, you, you can't be sure. You went through a lot of trauma. And they wanted Dershowitz named for their own political reasons to take Dershowitz out of the political game in certain cases where they could. 
Dershowitz was always, in my view, falsely accused. And now there's further substantiation of that from the withdrawal of the retraction of the complaint. But the banks were clearly complicit uh, and a lot of high ranking government officials and politicians, I believe, were. Hopefully this case leads to that path if the courts don't shut it down out of the gate, which they shouldn't legally. And I just want to pull up the article where I had it. Jeffrey Epstein, here we go. I I don't see how they could possibly shut it down. And Robert, you'll tell me how this is not going to basically, I I mean, are they going to settle if they get a settlement? But New York State, here we go. This is from CNBC. Deutsche Bank hit with $150 million penalty for relationship to offender, to sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. And we don't need to go through it, but just... New York state financial regulators said Tuesday that they have slapped Deutsche Bank with a $150 million penalty for, quote, significant compliance failures in the bank's dealings with the accused child sex trafficker, now dead investor, as well as two. So they, they, they got slapped with the fine. I think they paid it. How do they then have any defense civilly to say, at the very least, this results from our negligence, if not our overt, overt criminality? The threshold is lower in civil courts. I mean, how does this not guarantee something of a civil settlement? I mean, only to the degree there's a discrepancy that they, there's not an admission from the civil proceedings, that the evidentiary standard is sufficiently different. It might be in the federal statutory context, both RICO and the sex trafficking laws. But I agree there's enough alleged that it should get to discovery and find out what really happened in discovery. And I'll be very curious. If, if for some reason this case doesn't get to discovery, I would be very skeptical uh, the, the courts were up to. I'd put it that way. All right. And, and as you said that, you're, you, you got a little choppy as though the internet was going up, but it didn't. Um, okay. To be continued, people. Uh, and and maybe may, maybe it, 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 it didn't die with Epstein and it's not going to end with Maxwell's uh, sentence. And, you know, they, they had a sex trafficking ring. They just, there was, there, were, there, there was, they had no clients. I mean, it's just, it's just an anomaly of life. Uh, scandalous stories, Robert, that I never really fully appreciated. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not American. So there's some parts of American history that I'm not too familiar with, but I looked up the Tulsa massacre after um, you sent me that lawsuit. I, I sort of flabbergasted that I, that I, I imagine it's a big piece of American history and maybe not so much known in, in Canada, the Tulsa massacre, uh, almost a hundred years to the day in which from my understanding, and you'll have to flesh out the details. Uh, there was an incident of an alleged black man who, uh, you know, allegedly stumbled and fell as he was getting into a, an elevator to go to the bathroom, allegedly ripped the dress of a woman off. She screamed. Uh, people thought it was a scandalous attack on a, on a white woman. Uh, the individual was arrested, taken to jail. Uh, and, then, and then riots broke out in a neighborhood in Tulsa, which was uh, uh, referred to as the Black Jewel or the, African, uh, the African-American Jewel of, 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 of America. Uh, there were... Within 24 hours, not riots, from what uh, seems to be a massacre of 300-plus black people in this, in this neighborhood, and a cover-up that, that, I mean, I don't know how something like this gets covered up or can successfully be covered up for years and decades, uh, cover-up that, that led to modern times, and now a lawsuit filed by a number of people, but at least three surviving victims who are now over 100 years old uh, for nuisance there was unjust enrichment, which I think was dismissed as part of the claim, but the lawsuit is going to succeed in part to continue going forward. But the event itself, Robert, I, I could only learn so much in a day, uh, inform those who might not have ever heard of the Tulsa massacre. Yeah, so I actually did a hush-hush on this. Uh, as, uh, so if people want an alternative theory as to who might have really been behind 
the uh, the, the massacre uh, that the official narrative might uh, be masking a monetary motivation of some other individuals and institutions that maybe this public nuisance suit might out. It doesn't pursue that affirmatively as yet. But I, if I were advising him, that's the path I would recommend they pursue. Um, the I mean, there's aspects of the suit I find uh, di- I, I don't agree with I, uh, legally. Uh, but, you know, for those that don't know, yeah, the, the uh, Greenwood uh, was a part, along with Durham, North Carolina at the time, was considered the Black Wall Street. It was uh, over 10,000 uh, black Americans lived there. Some were uh, of actual uh, Indian heritage as well, Native American Cherokee heritage as well. And they had built up a very successful black business uh, community, uh, one of the best and most successful in the country. And it included some uh, African-American owners of oil wells, things of that nature, uh, some great uh, banks, some great institutions, uh, whereas in Durham was mostly based because of their life insurance success to the black community. It was more of a diverse economic uh, entrepreneurial activity in uh, Tulsa, the Greenwood section. And basically what happened is the uh, in the riot that ensued, they basically burned down the entire neighborhood. And sometimes they burnt down the neighborhood with grandmothers or kids in the buildings. Uh, it was clearly organized. It was clearly orchestrated. They went out hunting black men that night, went out trying to uh, particularly to target uh, successful black men, black lawyers and some others uh, were, were uh, particularly targeted. And and that, but if you dig in, you'll see that there's a property connection that uh, in the hush hush that you'll understand what some of this may have actually been about, but whatever it was that unleashed it, uh, it basically was uh, one of the most horrendous uh, race hatred incidents in American political history. Uh, there's still some people that excuse it and apologize for it, and I think that's pitiful. They continue to buy into some ludicrous lies that were told by governing authorities at the time to cover up their bad acts. Uh, there was no justification for what took place, period, end of story. Um, and anyone who apologizes for it should check themselves in the mirror, in my opinion, the, uh, and check their sources at, at least. But the, uh, so the question is, what remedy would be there? So it was actually the backstory of a recent TV show uh, that you know, was somewhat politically controversial was the idea that what would happen if you gave reparations? to everybody that was related to someone who was injured in the incident. Um, that's not quite what they're seeking. There's the part of the nuisance suit I don't agree with is the idea that continuing race, that race uh, relations can be a public nuisance. I'm not quite accepting that premise. That's a precarious presence that what that would do is allow legal lawfare to put into motion certain critical race theory and other ideas that I am not for that going progressing in that path and using the horrors of Tulsa 100 years ago as their predicate or premise to do so. What I do agree with is is the people that have direct ties to the injuries, direct ties to the property damage, direct ties to the property being stripped from them over time, which is also what happened. Now, it didn't happen on the scale that I think some politicians thought it would because there were some very smart young black lawyers who fought back, and they fought back so effectively and successfully that the mass theft, property theft that they tried didn't fully happen. As the suit notes, it's urban renewal that is actually the death nail to the Greenwood neighborhood. Uh, that was a liberal project uh, that was often utilized for real estate develop, politically connected real estate developers in certain areas to align their pockets. And so they, they're claiming that essentially people have profited from what happened to this very day 
that part of the suit of the public nuisance that was created that has continuing effect in property and personal loss, I think has grounds to be go forward. Uh, the grounds that says current race relations are a public nuisance, I, I wouldn't support moving forward. But it'll be an interesting, I mean, the court is allowing some part of the case to go forward. And I hope they really pursue the potential conspiracy that may have been present by certain politically connected property owners to disguise a uh, uh, a massive theft of property as a race riot, when what it really was was a massive theft of property by the politically connected and protected. Very interesting. I mean, it, it, interesting. It's uh, th- why was there such a, an extensive period of time? This is not related to the lawsuit, but wh- why were the victims or the survivors so reluctant to talk about it, or why was there so much suppression about public discourse about this event, which is unignorable? Oh. I mean, I mean, a bunch of the local newspapers went and deleted their own archives, destroyed their own archives on this. See, I mean, so it was it was a hidden secret. And so it really it would have only been something you felt comfortable talking about by the 1970s or 1980s. So by the time, you know, you're a whole new generation, a lot of people had passed on. A lot of people just fled, got out of there. So the it was uh, that's that's most likely why that the experience was that it wasn't productive for the victims to talk about it publicly. Uh, and the, the people who, who did it, perpetrated it, tried to hide it from history for a long time. Statute of limitations is going to be an issue in this? Uh, a public nuisance can be an exception to that. That's where the theory of public nuisance, I agree with, involves ongoing emotional injury and uh, personal damage that's continuing, property damage that's continuing. I can see as being a continuing tort outside the statute of limitations, whereas... Just the racial division, I don't see as a basis to call it a public nuisance. All right. Okay, interesting. I mean, it's it's an interesting piece of history. And Robert, um, I just shared the hush-hush on Twitter and in the chat. I'll, I'll pin it afterwards uh, so people can go watch it. Um, I guess from one theft of, theft of public property to another, th- sorry, theft of private property to another theft of private property, there's been uh, a, a decision on the moratorium of evictions in uh, California, in San Francisco area, uh, the, the moratorium that was declared that you could not evict tenants for non-pay, non-payment of rent because of COVID ratified. Uh, ratified on the basis that it was temporary, but Robert, is it, still, is it still in effect? Yeah, it's been in effect for two years, two and a half years. So I, the, the court's pretext was, and this is a problem that our Supreme Court has limited takings jurisdiction. The the their whole goal. I mean, taking says very simple: the government cannot take private property without just compensation. It's that simple. Um, clearly, to me, the lockdowns were a mass taking, and the, the the way the courts and the eviction moratoriums was also a mass taking. And the way they're getting around it is the Supreme Court has limited the definition of takings to possessory takings, physical takings, and only certain regulatory takings. Um, so in, in, in ways that, in my view, have completely gutted the meaning of the Fifth Amendment to allow the government to just steal people's property whenever they want with minimal financial consequence to the government. And for people out there, to give you an idea, the government only has to pay you the value as is, not the value that it could be. So let's say the government, let's say you've got some beautiful lakefront property and that lakefront property as developed is worth half a million dollars. And that's what you plan on doing. But you haven't developed it yet. The government comes and grabs it first. Guess what? They get to treat it like it's farmland and pay you 50 grand. So, uh, the, I mean, that's what the courts allow them to do. 
Uh, so, I mean, it, it, and, and if they can somehow call it not a permanent taking, now they don't have any responsibility. So what the court said is, well, on its pay, on its face, an emergency is just a temporary thing. So, yes, it's still going on, but that doesn't make it indefinite. It's still temporary. It's a two and a half year temporary. That well, might be a 20 year temporary. And as long as it's temporary, it's they haven't taken anything from yeah, you. And set aside that, how is even urgent, temporary, urgent temporary taking? How is that not a taking? It's like, for, first of all, I've been since you planted this seed in my head. I was saying like the government in Canada telling you that you cannot go out of red zones to green zones during COVID. Well, some people have cottages. And so you're stuck in a red zone. You literally cannot access property that you own because of government edict but they expect you to still pay tax on that. That is a taking and a giving to the government. Like, here's your property. You can't use it. We're not taking it, but you can't use it, but we're taking your tax dollars off property that we are forbidding you from using. And in this decision, Robert, the judge actually says, nobody's, nobody's preventing you from getting out of the real estate market. Like, you could, you could just find another thing to do in life. I'd say make it make, it make sense, but... It's, it's, well, it shows it, it's people who think the government should run the world. It's another example of the professional managerial class that has no understanding of market economics, no understanding of constitutional uh, democracy or liberty. And consequently, they think they should run the world. And if it's their fellow professional managerial class bureaucrats making a decision, they go through every excuse possible to rationalize it and justify it and excuse it, regardless of common sense. Common sense is. When you take, when you deprive me of the ability to evict a tenant who hasn't paid rent in a year, you have deprived me, you have taken property rights from me, and that you should compensate me for the value of that. And pretending, oh, well, it's just temporary because on the paper, when they declared it, it was temporary. And it was, here's what she literally said as long as the government doesn't say it's permanent or indef indefinite in the emergency order itself then the emergency order can, in fact, be permanent, can, in fact, be indefinite, and it will be labeled temporary by the court so that it's not considered a take. Uh, so it's, it's and they're like, well, you could always sue the person or just get out of the real estate market. But as you point out, they're being taxed for the full value of the rental value of that property. Right. And you know, the government isn't turning around and saying, well, you know what, now that you can't really rent it out or you can't get the value of the rent, we're not going to tax you. No, oh, no. no if you if you post, post and the government's lost. power to seize hasn't been taken at all. The government's power to evict hasn't been limited at all. Robert, it's it's criminal. It's just that the criminals are the government. I mean, pay tax, and if you run a loss, we'll, we'll, we'll reimburse you what you you prepaid in advance for, for presumed income. But so am, am I wrong, or does this just have to go to the Supreme Court and they will probably get it, it right? It'll go up through the California courts, but it's it, whether the U.S., I hope somewhere along the way, one of these COVID lockdown cases reaches the U.S. Supreme Court and they take it. Um, and because the issue of takings needs to be expanded, it needs to be restored to its roots and its common sense application. Because the only thing that will deter the government, even though it's taxpayers ultimately paying it, politicians don't like having to be the ones responsible at any level. The only thing that's going to stop them from doing another big round of lockdowns is going to be somebody saying that's a taking. Um, because that that's the only thing they'll be like, because other taxpayers will be like, well, I don't want to pay for that. And that will create political pressure for them not to do it. That's the only way it's going to happen. Uh, so I hope, but, but this is at the district court level. 
I'll go up to the California food chain. I don't expect any relief, sadly, from the California food chain. So their only hope is that the U.S. Supreme Court somewhere at some place at some point steps in and issues clarity like they should do on what a fundamental right is. Okay, so we'll get into the another vaccine, the details of this. I forget who it is. It's somebody who's told that it's the doctor who had already had covid who was like, I've already had covid. The vaccine won't help me. The mandate is unnecessary for me to do my job. And they said, we don't care. You can't even do your work remotely. You can't do your work if you unless you get this shot. And it was the UC Irvine suit. But Aaron, I think I mispronounce his name sometimes. Kierty. Uh, he, he's going to be on a future sidebar with us when we get the time to arrange it. Yeah, let me see if I can pull up the the uh, the lawsuit. I won't find it. But bottom, oh no, the, the decision. Which one was it? Uh, Gaga. I'll, I'll find it, was, it after. But bottom, it was line. the Ninth Circuit. By the way, they it's non-published, so it's not binding precedent in the Ninth Circuit because even the judges probably know it's full of their decision is 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 uh, a garbage decision. Um, but the uh, so it's not a binding decision. But yeah, it's like five pages of lazy judges covering up uh, for their fellow professional class incompetence. It's it's the, the 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 vaccine mandate was that he has to be vaccinated in order to go to work and they invoked Jacobson they said look this isn't the first time this has happened it happened under more onerous conditions under the precedent of Jacobson v whatever from Indiana I forget Jacobson uh, state of Massachusetts Massachusetts from 100 years ago they called it more onerous when that was a $5 fine. Yeah. That and, was losing and, your job less onerous than a $5 fine. Uh, they called it more more onerous. They cited it as and, and, and failed to mention that nobody was compelled or even lost very much, paid the fine, could carry on. This guy, and then they said he failed to identify a fundamental right that was being violated in his right. claim as if the right to work, the right to be a member of society is not fundamental. No. Yeah, it, well, and not only that, the, the fundamental right at issue, because this is the substantive due process clause, and this is frankly due to conservatives on the court. Conservatives on the court have been trying to gut the due process clause. They don't want it to have any substance. They think due process only means process. So that means that, you know, was the procedure done correctly? They think it in, infers no substantive rights of any kind. I disagree with that. But let's say you put even that aside. To me, the, there are implicit in the First Amendment, Second Amendment, Fourth Amendment uh, rights include uh, the, the right to bodily autonomy, the right to privacy from the government, the right to medical privacy and medical decision making. The U.S. Supreme Court has recognized that in a range of other contexts. They don't talk about that at all in this decision. Part of the reason why it's un, unpublished means it's unbinding. They're trying to evade the analysis and, and the way the courts are getting around this, and again, a lot of right-wing courts have led the way in this, is they re- require you to have a, an identified micro-right. Not a macro-right, but a macro micro-right. Like, for example, uh, and the question to me is simply, is the right against forced vaccines a right of bodily autonomy or not? Does it fall within that? So if, to me, there was never a question there was a right to privacy. The only question is, is there a right to an abortion against the life of the unborn included within that right to privacy or not? That's a totally separate question. Uh, But what the courts have often done is, oh, you can't just have a right of bodily autonomy. You have to have a right of bodily autonomy in that specific context previously identified. Well, of course, that doesn't exist. That almost never exists because what's being done is unprecedented by definition, unparalleled by definition. The substantive due process at the time of Jacobson didn't exist as a legal doctrine. 
So, you know, the, in, in Jacobson, they were simply asking, does the state legislature have within its public policy power the power to find someone for not taking a vaccine during the middle of a pandemic where it was factually conceded the vaccine was safe and necessary and the pandemic was a high risk of death, severe risk of substantial harm? The same standard Alan Dershowitz agreed with me was the proper legal standard in our debate where he, you know, severe risk, uh, substantial risk of severe harm has to be present to other people if you don't take it. And what the, the drug that you take needs to be necessary, it needs to be narrowly tailored to achieve the mitigation of that harm. In other words, it needs to be safe and effective. And it can't be a higher risk to you to take it than it is a benefit to other people that you take it. And so here, the problem is they couldn't deal with the facts, right? The facts in this decision are so on the underlying record. He had a high-ranking scientist and doctor say he's at, he is at less risk of spreading the virus without the vaccine than he is with the vaccine. He already got COVID. He already has natural immunity that can be compromised by taking the vaccine, as we've now seen all the data for. This is, as even the Washington Post admitted this week, this is a pandemic of the vaccinated, not the unvaccinated, of the vaccinated. The vaccinated are the ones filling the hospitals. Robert, the vaccinated are the ones filling the morgue. That's only because everybody's vaccinated. It's not, and, yeah, and it yeah, still works. Exactly, it's still safe exactly. and effective. Uh, well, there was something that I found Oh, in the decision also. They just say, yeah, well, look, you have your authorities that say not X, but the government has their authorities that say X, and therefore that's not enough to Well, to it's because the, the key was eliminating this. The, the key with every one of these vaccine cases is the standard of scrutiny that applies. This mm-hmm. is another case where a court could not find, and this was my contention to Alan Dershowitz at the very beginning, that you will not find a case where the evidence will support a strict scrutiny uh, support approval of this vaccine, right? The, that if strict scrutiny is applied, and he, that's why he was reluctant initially to agree to strict scrutiny, but after I reminded him of the Connie Buck case, he agreed to strict scrutiny uh, because nobody wants to be associated with that case. The only case cited in that forced sterilization case, the Connie Buck case, was the Jacobson decision. Every lawyer arguing these cases in front of every court needs to remind the court of that. They're citing the decision that was the foundation of Nazi eugenics. They're citing the decision that was the foundation of American eugenics. They're citing the only case that was cited as the grounds for forced sterilization. Is that what this court wants to affirm? Is that what this court wants to approve of? Uh, Make them recognize that affirmatively as often as possible. Uh, But here, what this court did is they said rational basis review because there's no fundamental right at all to anything, whether it's a right to work, whether it's a right for bodily autonomy, whether it's a right to make your own medical choices, whether it's a right of medical privacy, no such right exists. According to the same Ninth Circuit that says it's so fundamental, you can uh, you can you can kill an unborn life inside of you. uh, But somehow it magically vanishes when it comes to whether or not somebody can stick a needle in you. Uh, you notice they didn't deal with that either. They, they, they ignore all the contradictions. They ignore all of the arguments against them. That's why the decision is so short. They want it to sound simple because these are what lying judges do. When judges lie, they lie by not dealing with their opponent's arguments, pretending the argument is just this little simple argument over here when it's not. And so uh, because they lowered it to rational basis review, they got to say that a, a, a government can force you to do something against your will, invade your body against your will, condition employment uh, based on that, uh, even if their only basis to do so is their own studies, uh, which is amazing. In other words, 
not in independently confirmed evidence, not independently confirmed expert, because there he won on all that. He was right. He had the better experts. He had the better evidence. He had the better studies. The, the university didn't. They were the worst on all. That's why the court couldn't talk about any of them. That's why the court couldn't apply even intermediate scrutiny. The court had to reduce the level of scrutiny by stripping away people's rights and liberties so that it could pretend that a court, uh, any government body could do whatever it wants as long as it cites its own study, uh, which, by the way, is not a standard they'll apply when they don't like the politics of a case. They'll suddenly reverse, of course. Uh, what was the other thing? that There was something in that decision that I also thought was, I oh, forget, I, I forget which. Um, yeah, uh, amazing distinction between the strict scrutiny and uh, what was the other one, rational Rational, sorry, what was it? Strict scrutiny, rational basis? There's strict scrutiny, intermediate scrutiny, and rational basis review. And they kept rational basis as low and as dumb as it can possibly be. Oh, sorry, that's what I was going to say. The joke was, well, look, if you don't like the the moratoriums, you can get out of the real estate business. If you don't like the vaccine mandates, find another job. It's uh, it's just that easy. Robert, speaking of uh, criminals sitting down for depositions, uh, Fauci was deposed last week? Oh, it's this week. No, no, last, last week he was deposed. Uh, it's, it's not, it wasn't televised or anything, was it? No, though the video of it, I believe it was video recorded and that may be released at some point. Mm-hmm. I hope so. So that we get to see clips of it. I've only seen some renditions of what other people who were at the deposition talked about where Fauci admitted that everything was based on what China was doing, that he was just piggybacking off of what China was doing on that side of the aisle. So he, that a lot of suspicions about Fauci's motivations and protocols that they were as bad scientifically as we suspected. There wasn't a lot of science to what Fauci was doing at all. Apparently, that was confirmed by his inability to cite a scientific basis for most of the decisions he made, most of the reckless and crazy and dangerous decisions he made, which many of us at the time said that was the case, because those of us who had looked at the data, looked at the information, could see there wasn't good ground, looked at the history of public policy, could say this is insane behavior. And now we're seeing, yeah, oh, yeah that, that's, you know, China did it, thought it might work. That that's your scientific basis. Yep, that was it. Any um, no no you know, no studies, no detailed histories, no evidentiary scientific medical analysis, no big commissions. Nope, 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 nope. And then he went on to trying to cover up the COVID lab source well, for which he had personal ties to. Okay, well, interesting. Uh, w- uh, so, what's going to come of it? I mean, it, it, perjury. Uh, I don't. Can they compare that testimony to his congressional he- testimony or? It's just going to, we're going to get the sound clips when we get the sound clips and, and the world will have forgotten. No, it will be, I mean, it will just be useful to get it on document exactly what happened, how it happened and why it happened and what other admissions he also made in the process. And so that will be good to see that published in public and uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, but the house committee is talking about re the uh, calling him before the house committee as well. So it will also give them a roadmap to certain questions, but at least as to the part I've seen reported on so far, it's quite clear that some of our suspicions that there was no science behind Fauci's actions were confirmed by his own deposition. Man, and there'll be, there will be no consequences. Um, all right, Robert, uh, we should get to the, well, we'll go through some of these stories quickly. Twitter being sued. I'm looking at a tweet from Elon Musk now showing new user signups at an all time high for Twitter, uh, to which Jordan Peterson says, this is what failure looks like to the left. Um, one of those employees who got the email, saying you're going to work hardcore hard you know get ready for long hours you know what everyone should be expected to do in their job in any event this employee uh she was something something to do with compliance in ireland uh did not click yes or no on the email and therefore was deemed to have resigned 
Uh, except she says, uh, I didn't resign. I just didn't click on the yes or no because it wasn't sufficiently detailed as to what the hours would be like, what this new environment would be like, what hardcore means. Uh, and she sued. She got an injunction to prevent her from getting fired, but the injunction didn't reinstate her. So, I, I mean, I, I, apparently they're going to revisit the case next week. It's, it's an emergency injunction. So it, it was an injunction prohibiting her from being fired, but did not reinstate her. So for the time being, she's not fired. She's not working. She didn't get the severance. She also, severance, she also alleged the severance wasn't, wasn't adequate. They're in California, right? Uh, I mean, it depends. I mean, I mean, there are a lot of employees in California. I think Twitter's uh, base of operations has always been California, uh, though there is talk that he. That I think Twitter, the company, was organized in Delaware. Um, so the that's where you have all the different. You know, they they like Delaware for the Delaware Chancery Courts and things of that nature. Um, but the uh, that those courts tend to be very solicitous of corporate interest. Uh, and there's certain privacy anonymity protections. Uh, it's one of the favorite shell company locations of fraudsters around the globe, actually, is Delaware. Um, but go ahead. Is, is it? No, I was going to say, because the question is whether or not she's under a different contract that might be, you know, she might have contractual provisions that preclude uh, Musk from doing this. Uh, it's interesting. I just love Usually how... Usually injunctive relief is not the remedy. I mean, seeing we're seeing a couple of these cases where they're issuing injunctive. It's amazing. You're forced to take a vaccine you don't want or you get fired. No court's finding uh, injunctive relief outside of unless there's a religious allegation. Um, the But, you know, the different people, we've seen a couple of cases now, but now in a Twitter case, all of a sudden they can't fire you. The court's eager to sign off on those temporary restraints. It's always interesting when they're eager to sign those and when they're eager to not. And uh, it's usually wanting to protect their fellow professional class compadres. Uh, and that, that Twitter had a lot of those people. There was a classic example of how the professional managerial class is incompetent. And Elon Musk is just proving that in quick order. Uh, now, I think some of the statements on Alex Jones are self-serving grandstanding that uh, show that he has no sincere or serious commitment to free speech. And I remain a skeptic of the man's overall moral philosophy. Uh, I mean, nobody's given Elon Father of the Year award anytime soon. Let's just put it See, that way. I, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff about Elon that I didn't know. I, do, I don't need. It's not going to change the substance of the debate. It's just going to add some history to the individual. I didn't know well, that. I, if you're going to say, you know, grandstand about what a great father you are, and that's why you can't let Alex Jones on, it's like, mm, Elon, that's not your strong point. Uh, you know, wanting to have a little cult leadership and having, you know, eight kids by five different women. And, you know, kids who would rather change their gender than have you be their dad is not necessarily the sign of, of, of that. I wouldn't campaign on father of the year if I was Elon Musk. Well, um, it's, it's now, also, but that doesn't mean that, you know, the Elon Musk is a dramatic improvement over the inept, incompetent, politically corrupted leadership of Twitter's predecessor. Uh, so the I think uh, he'll be an improvement over that. Some people are cheering for him, I think, in ways that's beyond proportionality. And some people are expecting some things from Musk. Musk is going to be interested in Musk. So he'll do what's interest in his own political interest at creating enough conservative allies so that he can have some position of influence, monetizing Twitter so that he can line his own pockets, using Twitter as a Chinese-style WeChat so he can mine it for information, for artificial intelligence, so he can be the god of Mars and have a bunch of people sacrifice themselves thinking they can live on a frozen rock. Um, until he can be transhumanist and he and Jared Kushner can create the technology where they can live forever, as both of them want to do, by the way. 
So that's why I said, you know, Elon Musk is not going to go on the icon book anytime soon. Uh, but uh, he's in, but it would, it was hard not to be an improvement. And it just shows what entrepreneurial approach to Twitter would make it a freer place. And I hope he does grant the general amnesty he's talking about. I think as well, a marketer, man's a pure maestro, pure maestro. That, that is the question. I was looking up the expression. It's Vox Populi, Vox yeah. Day. Vox Populi. I, so the, the, some people's theory is that he doesn't want to bring Alex Jones back, but he said, should there be general amnesty for anyone who didn't break the law? I, I asked for clarity from Elon. I think I got my I got my lightning in a bottle when he replied once. I don't think it'll happen again, but I, I would like clarity from Elon Musk as to what he means by that, breaking the law through the impugned tweet or breaking the law off the platform, because in which case... The guy who tried to kill Reagan and um, or he's not on Twitter. He's on YouTube. Um, no, he's on Twitter. He's on Twitter. And, and OJ Simpson, you know, the, they were found guilty in civil courts of law, f- found uh, legally responsible civilly. Uh, and I'm not a fan of penalizing people on platform for crimes they committed off platform unless they're intricately related. Correct. So Correct. How, how, what does he mean by that? We'll see. Some people are saying the, you know, the people spoke, the people vote. Alex, they think Alex Jones will be given, you know, the re, back on yeah, next week. We'll see. We'll see. I, I mean, I think that'd be a good thing for 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 free speech in America. Um, the I to his credit, he is taking very seriously the problem of Twitter promoting uh, uh, child pornography yep. and other criminal behavior like that. Uh, you know, the Eliza Blue, who we interviewed, who's a big uh, champion of the rights of victims uh, to try to prevent uh, the spread of child pornography behavior. Uh, he Musk has made a specific commitment to trying to get rid of that on Twitter. So to his credit for that. And as a whole, I think 90% of what he's doing is net beneficial to the world on Twitter. Right. Um, and so the, I think it will, will redound to his benefit politically, uh, ultimately, because he'll have new conservative allies that he didn't have before all this started. And uh, Alyssa Milano uh, took your route. She was like, I, I can't, I can't support this Tesla bit. Uh, I'm, I got to find me a Nazi car to buy. I, I can't support white supremacy. I, I traded my Tesla. But, but Robert, I read it. I mean, the thing is this: I'm not uh, uh, the type of person that will hold the, the grudge forever. That's it was founded by Nazis. It used slave labor during the Holocaust. But okay. now it, it it offers a good deal. But well, no. Now the, the issue is, how long do you hold a company responsible well, for its yeah. historical uh, atrocities? Oh, agreed, agreed. But when she comes out and says, I, "I'm selling my white supremacist vehicle from Elon Musk, and I bought a VW," I thought she was joking, and then she's not joking, and she's just an idiot. Um, but I, I don't believe in holding the company forever responsible for what it did in the past. And I think, ugh, to their credit, they they did pay a lot. Um, they they paid some serious reparations. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, but all of that aside, to be so uh, historically ignorant, yeah, uh, and and then also just defamatory, like suggesting there's anything white supremacist about Elon Musk, hilarious. Getting the lambasting she deserves, she made it into Fox News again. Um, Robert, what what did we miss? I think we we did. The, very uh, there is the civil forfeiture case, and what that is, it's going through the Indiana courts, and the question is, do you have a right to trial by jury? In a civil forfeiture case, I, I think forfeiture cases, fines and sanctions uh, power of courts have been, has been dangerously misused and abused. And they're trying to strip uh, individuals of their right to trial by jury. It's a problem, in my view, in the Amos Miller case. So we, we have these courts issuing huge amounts that you're ordered to pay, but no jury has ever determined that. And the classic definition of a right to trial by jury historically, an action at common law, is any action that seeks monetary damages or monetary relief. 
So to me, if money is involved and money is going to be ordered to be paid, I think it should always be trial by jury. This, that's, I mean, the problem is, you know who you're arguing to? The same judges who want to abuse that power, right? So you're saying, hey, judge, you don't have the power to do what you did. Uh, the judge thinks about it, goes, yeah, yeah, I like that power. I think I'll keep it. You know, I mean, that's the problem, right? The, the, the ability of the, it's where our separation of powers breaks down. When the judicial branch can ignore its, con- and this goes all the way back to McCulloch versus Maryland, when the judicial branch usurped the power to say we alone determine the Constitution, which was not their constitutional right in the first place, it, it, it negates a critical check on power that the separation of powers provides, especially when they're abusing power to help the executive branch or help the government itself, right? Because the theory, the theory was, well, the courts don't have the power of, of punishment because they don't have police power, they don't have the power of the purse. Well, when it when you're helping the government get money, when the, you're helping the government punish someone, then what? Then all of a sudden there is no that is no longer a check on power. So in my view, the civil forfeiture procedure, like I think about any monetary amount, should go to trial by jury. It's a big issue there. It's being decided under the Indiana Constitution, but it would be analogous to most other state constitutional provisions and the U.S. Constitution. So hopefully it will develop in a way that case that establishes that indeed you have a right to trial by jury because it's a classic. The, the, you have a right to trial by jury in all these constitutions. It's been interpreted to mean you have a right to trial by jury in any case that would have arisen at common law. And the classic definition of arisen at common law is monetary damages being assigned or assessed. Yeah. So to me, anytime money is involved, automatically should be trial by jury. Our courts have been running around trying to create new loopholes all the time so they can usurp the power from the jury and put it in their own pocket. And uh, this is a critical case to limit that power, especially when it enables the government where our separation of powers doesn't work at all in that context. Well, civil forfeiture is just theft, legalized theft from the beginning. I don't think any of us are going to have a hard time uh, disagreeing on that. Um, Oh, speaking of, I, I won't say theft, but just corrupt activity, Google uh getting it, it is google get, google yeah google, google. got uh, caught for their little privacy we're not tracking you turn on your privacy thing and then they double tracked you when yeah, you did no, that you, you explicitly turn it off and they nonetheless explicitly used it to track your information uh i now understand sold it the, to other people so they could monetize it to you uh so they have to pay a cool 310 million dollars which will be a pinprick they, it, they will be able to pay to break the law i don't know how much they made off of this or what other nefarious purposes, the political purposes they might have used it for. Uh, but yeah, they got they got slapped on the wrist. Um, yeah, well, it was good. And, and hopefully it will continue. Uh, th- those cases will continue to limit their power in that capacity uh, to stop their worst acts. And it'd be used as future grounds to look at breaking them up and their monopoly power uh, as we move forward. All right, Robert, what, what did we miss uh, before I start getting bombarded by children? The... Well, I was just going to go to some uh, chats in our uh, locals live chat at vivabarneslaw.locals.com. So let's see. Can the Republican Congress recommend prosecution to state level attorney generals? They can always write a letter, I suppose. Uh, but the state level the attorney generals can always do what they want in that regard. <laughs> uh, some funny memes. Uh, uh, Robert, I'll, I'll, I'll do all of the rumble rants. I'll just do one that actually just popped yeah. up right now. Death Sec 1337, can you have on your show Dr. Sean Baker and Alex Thompson from UK Column? So I'll, I'll see oh, who those oh, people are. Yeah, I'll take a look at them. 
one question here is if the courts won't do its job in being a check and balance on the other two branches, are we supposed to resort to acute politics for remedy? I mean, that's the problem. Um, you know, the uh, is what is your remedy if the system fails? Um, and the hopefully we can continue to knock on the doors of the courts, knock on the doors of legislative elections. But it's when the courts fail in the context of elections, it endangers the republic, period because people lose confidence in the function of their government and they don't think they have any legal means within their governmental remedy to get remedy. And so, and, and the, and the government's raw assertion of power, say, if you people pull another January 6th, this is what we'll do to you. That is not, you know, throughout all of uh, history, that has not worked very well. Uh, the, the harsher the punishment, the harsher the treatment of people screaming about the government falling apart and not functioning as it's supposed to, has only led to more protest and more resistance, not less. Uh, so, you know, the, but it is, it is a problem. And we have a lot of people in positions of power who could uh, care less sadly about it. But I think that covers, I think we otherwise did cover the main other questions. And you know about, what, I'll, uh, Robert, we're, I, I, I've, I'm going to, we're going to get that Santa Barnes on, um, on something for Christmas. And also I didn't realize some of the old classics were not on the vivafry.com merch website. But let me just show you one. Yep, 20,000 people have been watching and getting an education. Where is it? Where is it? You've been getting an education, people? Viva Barnes University. University. Yeah, not a real university, people. Just so nobody has any misunderstandings. Uh, get some merch. I, I've, I've, I've not been doing a good job even letting people know that this stuff exists. VivaFry.com. You can get all of it. There's a ton of stuff. We're seeing, we're seeing it there. And we're going to have some new designs. We're getting the Honest A Barnes on, on the shirt. I didn't realize it was not on the website. So it's coming. Uh, Robert, this week, the sidebar might be Wednesday morning because I, we got Whitney Webb coming on the 30th, but it's at 9 o'clock in the morning. So I don't know if that's going to be too early. For oh, you, that, but... might, that might work out okay because I was going to say I'll, I'll, I'll actually be in transit later in the day, actually. Okay, excellent. So the, the sidebar might be at 9 o'clock in the morning followed by uh, a daytime live stream uh carl benjamin he's going to come on at some point this week so we, we Hi, both great. Sargon yeah, of a, one and the only sargon of a cod some people don't know the saga that sargon went through for the last several years and it'll, oh, it'll yeah. be news to them so his whole trend you know i mean this is a guy who was kind of a lefty liberal in the gaming community saw the insanity of what was happening in the gaming community got politically radicalized by the wokesters trying to take over it was a part of the gamergate story and, and his constant political evolution has been fascinating. Then now runs a, uh, the Lotus Eaters, a really good informative podcast that's, uh, that's informative and educational. He's, of course, a funny guy, classic, uh, uh, classic in that regard. And on the good news on the Twitter front, you know, Savannah Hernandez, who we interviewed yep. before sidebar, she got reinstated rightfully. She does great grassroots reporting. Savannah says, or Sav says uh, on Twitter, she's back up and going. And uh, the one and only, the, the, the unordained, unrecognized Pope of Law Tube, Mr. Nick Ricada, was also reinstated back uh, to Twitter, which was also good to see. It's, it's it's amazing. Like you don't have to like the pe- if you don't if you don't like bad words. What his first tweet back was hilarious. But if you don't like bad words, don't follow them. Uh, Jordan Peterson's back. Sargon of Akkad. Sav says Ricada. Uh, obviously Trump, who's not using it. It's Twitter. I was going to say it. I was going to tweet it out today. I love Twitter. I use it as a diary. I use it for news. I use it for entertainment. I don't watch TV anymore. Go to Twitter. See, see who's um, engaged in fun stuff. Okay, so all that to say, Robert, we've got a sidebar. It might be a morning sidebar. Uh, what appearances do you have in the coming week? 
oh, I'm, I'm still in Tennessee. So nothing coming up uh, this week other than bourbons with Barnes at vivabarnslaw.locals.com. Booyah, people. I've screen grabbed all of, if not virtually all of the Rumble rants. I'll do a Locals, uh, as I've been doing, read through them. Uh, Robert, there's, a, there's some black pills, and I had my black pill-ish weekend. But uh, words of wisdom for the week to come. Well, I mean, I think Carrie Lake is a word for wisdom. This is someone who went, they went to great lengths to rob her of the governor's chair. Uh, they might get away with it, but she will not let them get away with it with ease. And she will continue. And she's fought smart and fought strong. She's shown the way you can do this. You fight in the court of public opinion. You let ordinary, everyday people have their voice heard. You record those testimonials. You broadcast and publish them to the world. You convert them to declarations to be filed in court. You seek and demand evidence at the first stage. You show all you're asking for is the evidence to figure out what happened or what transpired and whether there's a legal basis to contest the election's outcomes and the results. And if if there is such a basis, then she will pursue it as the attorney general candidate also has already done so. And that shows people who are unafraid by the media intimidation, unafraid by the corrupt Republican establishment in Arizona. And we're going to find out whether Arizona judges are going to live up to their oaths or live up to their McCain ties. And we'll find out whether they're honest and honorable or not. They purported to be. McCain purported to be. Well, let's see what the truth is. We'll find out. If they take the Bolsonaro uh, result, it will be the doom of the McCain power structure in Arizona within a decade. If uh, they take if they don't take the Bolsonaro uh, outcome and take the honest judicial outcome, then we will get a new election, which is what should happen, uh, the one that is administered in a way that is constitutionally consistent. Uh, I have no doubt that Mark Elias would be screaming for a new election if he was on the op- if his candidate was on the opposite side of the currently tabula- tabulated results. So we should have the same standards for everybody, not different standards depending on which party labels behind the name in any aspect of our legal or political process. So uh, credit to Carrie Lake for continuing to fight the good fight, but to do so with clear eyes and clear head and a clear heart. Here, here, Robert. Uh, and I'll just, just cause it came up, there was one rumble rant right at the end, $18. that says, welcome back, Rihanna. Um, everybody, I believe Salty Cracker is still live. So if you do go over there, drop a little good, good in the chat and let him know from where you came, Robert, I'll talk to you. I don't know. Soon, well, we'll talk afterwards. Everybody out there. Thank you for being here and uh, enjoy the rest of the weekend. See you all tomorrow.